Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Motorcycles and Podcakes, the official podcast of Motorcycles and Pancakes. You can find all things Motorcycles and Pancakes related on the Instagrams and the YouTubers. And uh, today is our first remote podcast. Uh, we got a guest hanging out over, I think, in Denver. And uh, we're just going to get right down to it. So if you saw my little story right now, you're like, what kind of cat's coming on the podcast? I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you do now because, ladies and gentlemen, we got ourselves Brady, the meerkat. What's up, brother? How's it going? Dude, it's going good. So pretty excited to have you on, honestly. Uh, this has been kind of a thing you and I have been kind of trying to get into back and forth a little bit <laughs> right it's like hey i'm home i got time and you're like well i'm gonna be in the back country and then you're like hey i got time and i'm like well i'm not trucking so yeah because i think the last things. time i said hey i'm ready to go you were going up to british columbia <laughs> oh yeah yeah i went up yeah. to uh to the critters the um get lost find yourself moto camping trip that was just absolutely everybody ding, fantastic it was a yeah. it was a great time man so you in Denver? Is that what I hear? Monument. It's 45 minutes oh. south of Denver. So, yeah. Yeah, close enough, right? So, I mean, you just on a... especially people who don't know what Colorado looks like. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, for real. It's a square. You're there and there. There you go. Right. Right on, man. So, <clears throat> so a lot of people know who you are. And then a lot of people don't know who you are. So, what yeah. I like to do, getting things kind of just rolling, is like... Let's get to know the man behind the helmet, right? That whole cliche thing. So I'm really kind of curious to know, um, you know, where were you born? What what was your upbringing like, your family life like, you know, did you play sports or anything like that? Kind of curious to know. Well, I was actually, so I was born in Kansas, but grew up in Colorado. We moved here when I was six. So it's all I've ever known. But uh, went to school here. And actually, I'm a high school dropout. I, I went and got a GED when I was 17 and then joined the Marine Corps just after 9-11. So served in the Marine Corps for about a year. I got hurt when I was in infantry school. And so I got discharged, went back to school for a couple of years, and then rejoined the Army as a uh, combat medic and spent basically 05 to 2010 doing that. And got out in 2010, and I've been kind of bouncing around Colorado ever since. And started doing this kind of stuff part-time in 2015, 2016. And then life kind of happened. Some st You know, COVID and some other stuff happened, and I kind of transitioned to doing this full-time in basically 2021. And here we are. <laughs> here we are, right? So <laughs> going back, so... You said you're a high school dropout, which I think is fairly common, right? And uh, not everybody's path is going that way, right? So, oh, not at all. Like you... I, I have such an interesting thing of you know I have a master's degree now, but I dropped out of high school. No kidding. <laughs> that was really fun doing the GRE when I had never taken the SAT or ACTs. Yeah, that they didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> Oh, this guy, right? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Well, that's well, kind of cool, just, though. It, like, because they have their little, like, checklist of how of getting people into grad school, and none of it made any sense for them because none of the checkboxes worked. Like, I already had an associate's degree. I had a bachelor's degree. 
I had a good GPA and all that stuff in college, but I didn't ever, I had never taken the SATs or ACTs and it's like one plus one equaled tomato. (laughs) (laughs) Equals tomato. I love it. That's kind of funny, man. So So, when you, when you dropped out and then you're like, Hey, I'm going to go get my, my GED. At what point were you like, were you like, I'm going to go in the Marine Corps and then I have to get my GED? Or were you like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then they were like, hey, you got to do this. This or... was pre 9-11. So to join the military at the time, you had to have at least a high school diploma just to join. And so I had to have a GED before I could even process in. So I so I joined the Marines at 17. So I did my GED at 16. Um, just after my sophomore year of high school. So, oh, wow. Yeah. It, it's not hard. The GED is really easy. <laughs> so, that was not a problem, but it was just, you know, I had to go through the little steps that they needed just for me to be able to join the military. I, the, me joining the military had been the plan for years. And so, I was already in um, the delayed entry program before 9 11 happened. So, it was just a matter of, you know, I shipped in November of 2001. So going in the Marine Corps, was this like, you know, every little kid, they watch those movies and they're like, get all the friends, say, let's go outside and play army or whatever. Was yeah. it something from a little kid where you're like, Marine Corps or whatever? It's, did you, I don't remember if you served in the military or not. I did not. Okay, I was. I just my life sure. was taking me swear. Yeah, my life. life was taking me towards music and stuff at that point. Yeah, um, it's it's one of those things of it. The best description I think I've ever heard of the military is that there's, it's all extremes. Like okay, it's the most fun things you'll ever do in your life and the most boring bullshit things you can ever imagine dealing with (laughs) all like rubbing shoulders. It's, you know, you'll work with some of the smartest people you have ever met in your life. And some of the dumbest people on the planet are all like right in the same place. There's no like average middle ground with anything in the military. And so you do have those really cool experiences where you're like, holy crap, I'm never going to get to do that again. And then you also have entire days or weeks where you're sitting around with nothing to do and just absolutely bored out of your skull. So it's, it's a very unique experience. It's a lot like moving to a foreign country where they speak the same language. Okay. Because it's a completely different culture, but you, but you all still understand each other. You know, that's actually, um, I've been around a lot of veterans and a lot of people who have served even pre 9-11 or whatever. And um, that's kind of the same, same thing that they kind of say, you know, it's, you get in this environment and unless you've been there, you just, you don't understand it, you know? And I think the closest thing that I can say is, you know, I played a lot of football and I coached a lot of football. So I understand that brotherhood, but I think it's like teamwork environment. Yeah. 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 I, I would imagine though that, you know, battle buddies or whatever are just that times thousand. Well, the biggest difference is, is you're not just working together. You're living together. Cause, right. Cause when you're in a unit, you're in the barracks together. So like it take that football team and then put them together for all their off time 
their weekends are the only people that they can hang out with or other people on the team and put them together for three years. <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You end up with a very close knit, you end up as family, you know, the, the unit that I was in when I was in the army, I was in the same unit with the same people for four years. So by the, by the time we were coming back from Iraq, we all knew each other <laughs> so well, you know, we were family. And so, you know, that that's hard to describe to somebody who hasn't ever lived in that environment. Yeah, I couldn't even comprehend all of that stuff, you know, for sure. So you got hurt in the core. And um, I think my buddy Sean and Brian listening to this will probably want me to ask at some point, like when you got discharged out of the Marine Corps, did they give you a giant box of crowns? <laughs> no i did not get any gifts um no color crowns or anything or no that. you kind of learn how to you know you figure out which flavor you like the most after, after like boot camp and stuff <laughs> like that but right no, yeah. okay i had to throw that one in there for those guys um, i was always partial to the orange ones these taste like orange crush <laughs> fanta no <laughs> yeah right so you get out and then you had what you said you had a couple of years. I was out for about two years. I, I did an associate's degree and kind of got healed up and stuff and then went back into the army. Okay. So associate's degree. So what were you studying to get that? Outdoor education. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I was a, cool. I so joked you, that I was a professional ski bum for two years. Is that a bad thing? No, but ironically, that's the degree that I've probably used the most. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like get out things, that's the degree that i've used the skills in the most isn't that weird it's kind of cool though i mean really yeah so you get out you got two years you get this degree and then at what point were you thinking like was it another calling was it like i i need something more was it like Something maybe you already predetermined when you got out of the Marine Corps. What what led you I, to go into the Army? I did my EMT basic while I was doing my um, associate's degree and loved it. And so I was work for the last year that I was in school. I was working on trying to find something to be able to do within medicine, within emergency medicine. And so I tested with some fire departments and stuff like that. Most of them, the problem that you have is you have to be twenty one to really be a full certified firefighter. And I was still two years short of that. And cause I graduated when I was 19. And so couldn't get on with a fire department, you know, trying to work for like AMR, one of those ambulance services is just crap. Um, you know, kept looking at it at, you know, at this point, Iraq and Afghanistan are going on. And started looking at, well, if I joined the Navy, I could join as a corpsman, but I couldn't get guaranteed that I would serve with the Marines because I wasn't going to go get stuck on a boat somewhere. Right. And talked to the Army, and they were able to guarantee that I would serve as a medic. Um, and then I could get unit of assignment guaranteed to at least know that I was going to, like, an infantry unit. Okay. And so in, let's see graduated in may of 04 and then left for army medic training in january of 05 so it took a few months between there to get all that figured out 
to get it figured out. And uh, during that time, <clears throat> went in there, and you were you really wanted to to go that specific direction, right? Wanted to yeah, make sure you served. there. So the army's kind of funny because there is no there. Well, there used to be, but there there's no combat medic MOS like job field. The job field is healthcare specialist, but that covers that's one of the largest career fields in the army because it's covering everything from your medics that work in aid stations, at hospitals, in clinics. You know, you can do a right. ton of different things as that same career field. You're not guaranteed that you're going to a line unit and doing medic stuff. And so the hard part on that was trying to make sure that I would because I, I didn't want to just go and then be stuck working in a, you know, auditory lab or something doing, you know, hearing tests for four years. Oh my gosh, and no. So <laughs> I did, I did medic training, which is down in Fort Sam Houston in uh, San Antonio and got assigned to fourth brigade 10th mountain division, which at the time was based in Fort Polk, Louisiana. It's actually Fort Johnson now. Cause they renamed a bunch of the Southern bases. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I got assigned to the 10th Mountain Division down there in I got there in uh March or April of 05. Okay. So when you got <clears throat> when you got in there and you got moving, uh you got into your your job, right? So at what point were they like, "Hey, we're going to start gearing up for a deployment." Were you in there for a while or was it pretty, pretty quick? We knew we were going to deploy pretty quick. I mean, it's the 10th Mountain Division, which is the most deployed division in the U.S. Army. So oh, we they created the unit to deploy. So we knew we were going somewhere. Um, but we figured out a group of us. We were there for about a year because we deployed in March of 06 to Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, and how long were you over there for? In that I was time? in Afghanistan for eight months. So oh, wow. there, it was it was kind of a weird thing because they deployed us as task forces. So a group of us went for eight months, and then another group from the brigade went for four months. Um, just administrative stuff in the army. It's the only reason they did it that way. But yeah, right. It makes sense to yeah, them. That it doesn't make sense to anybody else. <laughs> there's a lot of that that goes on though right not only the army of them believe me right? <laughs> <laughs> if it makes so, sense it's probably not the army <laughs> okay so how many times were you actually deployed then twice once okay twice and then uh you got out what about what did you say four years well no i, I deployed twice twice yeah right, right. So I deployed in 06 and then I deployed again in 07, 08. Okay. Okay. I thought I was getting confused, but yeah, I was right there. No, you're fine. So when you get back home, the last deployment, were you about done with that military career? Time to move on? Well, when we, well like... Iraq was ugly. Um, yeah. So we went to Iraq from November of 07 until basically January of 09. And because that was part of the troop surge. And uh, so we were in an area right near what's called Sadr City in eastern Baghdad, and it was ugly. So by the time we got back from 13 months of that, 
we were all done. We, I actually got stop lost for the end of that deployment. So um, we, I got back in, I got back just before new year's and I was out 90 days later. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was, they had to, they were, they were holding me past my enlistment date. So, so they had to let me go as soon as we got back. Okay. So then you get back, you get out. And then what was the next phase of your life from that point? I went and finished my bachelor's degree because I only had about a year to, to do on that with the college classes that I had done. And then I went to the police academy. Oh, no kidding. Yep. I was a cop up in Breckenridge. Oh, (laughs) I, uh, little truck driving thing here. I got a load. This is a long time ago and I had to deliver to the Breckenridge resort or whatever up there. And I remember driving the truck up there and I'm like, (laughs) I'm driving through a neighborhood doing like these really sharp S curves going up. There's some sharp turns going up the hill. (laughs) I was like, Am I supposed to be here? I don't know. While I was working there, they had a truck pulling a uh, windmill turbine blade. They were going up over the they were going up over the pass to because they built windmills up in the center part of Colorado, and he didn't follow the route that he was supposed to follow, and so he high centered it in the traffic circle in the middle of town. They had to bring a crane out and like. Pick oh, them I up, bet. scoot them sideways, mm. pick them up, scoot them sideways. Like it took hours. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's imagine. not a town to be driving semis through. No, it really is not. That was just one of those things. And when you get up there, everybody's like, What are you doing yeah. here? Like, <laughs> Probably <laughs> got a load here for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're uh remodeling or something. At the time, oh, they're con- yeah, they're constantly yeah. building stuff up there. I mean, it, it doesn't even look like what it was when I was working there. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. But so, yeah, yeah, I my youngest from basically 2010 to 2014. Okay, so the, the police the whole time. Up yeah, there. man, that's uh, that's cool. I didn't know that about you. I knew a little bit about you, but definitely not that. It's, I mean, it's one of those things of that and then my government job stuff. I don't really talk a whole lot about just because who cares? <laughs> well, you know, but, yeah. Inquiring minds. So <clears throat> getting up there. So what, a, what made you kind of leave? So I, I'm assuming with your time frame, I might be totally wrong here, but with your time frame, you went from maybe law enforcement and hopping on the motorcycle. Was that kind of, right? I, I learned how to ride a bike when I was in my um, graduate school. So 2016. Okay. So 2016. And that's perfect little segue because I'm actually very curious to how you did find riding and motorcycles. Harley Davidson was doing a program where vets and first responders could do their MSF course for free. And so I was able to sign up and do the MSF course, you know, $500 course for nothing. No kidding. Okay. So, so it's when you signed up for that, I mean, obviously you had to be like, I want to do this. Right. I had always kind of wanted to at least learn how to ride a motorcycle, whether, you know, whether I, it became a thing or not, I didn't really care about, but I, but I'd always kind of had that in the back of my head of like, it'd be neat to know how to ride a bike. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, like for real, that's riding is man. It's it's awesome, right? Yeah, very and I fell in love with it. Very you know. adventurous. 
Right. It just, that happens. You get on those two wheels and you're just like riding and you're just like, dude, this is phenomenal. I love this. Yeah. So you get done with the, uh, with the course. And then were you just like, yep, I need me a bike. Pretty much. I, I, I would have to look at what I did, but I think I bought my bike a month later, maybe my first bike. Dude, that's quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was not long for sure. <laughs> right. So, uh, what did you buy? What was your first my, bike? My very first bike was a Triumph Scrambler 900. Whoa. So not, not the route the, I thought you were going. One, the old one. Right. Still not the route I thought you were going to say. Right. I thought you were no, gonna but, like, oh, but I mean, like when I pictured the bikes that I wanted to ride, I kind of, I loved the ADV segment. Um, I just didn't know enough about it. And honestly, as an, as a beginner bike an ADV bike is not necessarily the best idea just because they're all really tall. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, tall and, you know, heavy. And generally, I some, of the, I mean, some of them aren't, but yeah, generally. Yeah. yeah. I know like some of those Harleys and stuff, they're just, their weights are ridiculous. You know, well, I learned to drive on a street 500, which is just like the most awful piece of crap you could ever imagine trying to learn how to drive on. Cause it's, it's heavy. It's low. It's turning radius is like 600 feet. Like It's just a bad, it's not a good bike. <laughs> Turning radius is 600 feet, dude. That's well, I mean, it's you know, those like those Harleys, you're you're lock to lock is like dink, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So when no, you're trying I, to do like the, the course, you're trying to do the U turns and stuff, and the thing just doesn't turn, like, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I know I've ridden some uh, some Harleys and like Vulcans and things like that, and I know on some of those bikes, when you're like you're slowing down and you're trying to get into a turn or whatever, you're like you're riding and you're like fight that thing into the corner and you finally get it in the corner like okay you got to get out and you're like trying to fight the thing out it's just man the only real other real harley that i've spent any time on is the pan america and oh, yeah. it's it's a fun motor but i i'm not a huge fan of it for an adv bike it's not an adv bike let's it's a touring let's bike. be real yeah so i rode one at the giant loop ride i took it out yeah. for a demo and of course we were very restricted on where we can go and um, I remember I pulled out of the uh, the Crystal Crane Hot Springs. I made that right turn on the Highway 20. And I kind of got after it a little bit. Not a lot, but I, I got after it. And uh, I was just riding and even coming through the gravel, getting to the highway, I was really kind of, okay, I don't like where the peg location is. And no, maybe it's ergonomically so used. not set yeah. up well. Right. And I, I kind of was trying to be conscious because I was like, well, maybe it's just I read the ad at right. That's my Africa twins name. So I like I'm, I'm used to that. So is this just weird because I'm so used to that and I bebop down the road, I don't know, for whatever. And then we got down to this little abandoned store where we were supposed to turn around in this little gravel parking lot. And I was standing up and I was trying to give it a little throttle and try to get that back in to come out, just kind of feel it. And uh then we rode back and I actually got really after it that time. I got all the way to 55 miles an hour plus a whole bunch. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, I almost topped that thing out. I was so close to topping it out and I saw it's, a car coming the other way. Motor. Yeah. I saw a car coming the other way that was all white. And I'm like, Oh, don't be a cop. 
Oh, God. Don't be a cop. That's not going to be good. But it, it wasn't. Anyway, so yeah. I almost topped that out. When I got back, I was just like, my initial impression of it is a sport tour bike. It's a phenomenal sport tour bike, but it is not an adventure bike. I, it just doesn't no, feel I, I was, like I rode it at uh, Overland Expo, and I stood up on it, and I just tried to do a couple, like, big circles through the dirt. And I realized I couldn't touch the bike except for my shins trying to when oh, i'm standing no on the pegs like there was nothing to grip with your knees it was the weird like it was just the weirdest ergonomics i don't remember having that thought i just remember when i was standing up it was just i tried to lean it over so my knee was on the tank and i was trying to make it like a left i'm trying to give it a little throttle for that back end it's to come just out a weird bit, but yeah it just like i said it's a phenomenal sport tour bike but if you're gonna go do like I don't know. You're going to go across Mongolia or something. Don't take that. No <laughs> dream trip. So, right. so we're, we're, we're into like the motorcycle talk now. So you got your bike and you're kind of doing, you're learning, right? So were yeah. you taking any other classes or you're just like, I've got the skill set. Now I'm going to go out here and practice. I took other classes later on. In the first year of riding, I did some, I did very light off-roading. Um, and then I did a pretty big touring trip with my girlfriend at the time. We went up through like, we went up to Washington and stuff like that and came back down through like the top of California, Nevada and all that. But that was basically all pavement. Um, mm -hmm. There was a little bit of dirt in Nevada that we hit honestly by accident. <laughs> Finding dirt in Nevada? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, was so do you know where Pyramid Lake is? Um, it's a Paiute Indian reservation. Okay, I know where the res is, yeah. Yeah, so we ended up on that accidentally because coming over from California, right at the border, the road just turned to dirt. And we didn't know it, but the road was washed out on the Indian reservation. And so we ended up having, we ended up having this whole drama that day of like we pulled into Reno and her bike was acting up and I almost ran out of gas. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Stuff. Oh yeah. Well, the triumph does not have a big tank. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I think 130 miles was when my fuel light would typically come on. I oh, think man, it's a four gallon tank. It's not a big tank. That's not far. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, that's not uh, far at all. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was a fun trip, but there was definitely some drama involved. And, yeah. uh, I realized pretty much in the first year, year and a half that I was rapidly exceeding the off-road capabilities of that bike. And uh, so started looking to upgrade to a more traditional ADV bike. And then when you decided, hey, I need something a little bit more gooder, what did you go for? I ended up trading to a 990 Adventure. Oh, no kidding. Very yep. nice. Yeah. That is a little bit of a jump too, I think, and just the performance-wise of the two motorcycles. Oh yeah, the, the yeah. going going for I don't remember how many horsepower the nine hundred was, but uh, seventy maybe yeah. to you know right around a hundred, and then just also the nine nineties. I mean, it's a KTM, like it's just it's right. a rocket ship, no matter what. Yeah, and, I, I think that's one thing that a lot of people misunderstand. Like when they're getting into a motorcycle, they'll be like, oh, dude, you had a 900. Now you're just getting a 990. That's that's nothing. No big deal. And they don't understand the manufacturer. And very you different. get on this. <laughs> yeah, you, get on, you get on the 900 and you're like, 
and we're going. Oh, well, and, and, and you know, and the other one, one just the, the scrambler was five gears. So there's there's more than once where you're sitting there at 80, like absolutely floored, like I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and oh, then man. one of the first right? times I'm on the highway on the 990 and I go to pass somebody and I look down, I'm doing 105. It's like, oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good idea. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, dude, those those KTMs are just rockets. Oh, there's sure. so much fun, though. I know. Uh, is that your current bike? No. So you, you got I got something else so, now. Yeah, so I've been on a Tenere since uh, September of 21. Right. Okay, okay. So did you take the KTM all the way to the time to get the Tenere? Uh, well, I had two KTMs. I had, an, I had the 990, and life stuff caused me to trade that. And then I ended up getting a 690 that was kind of adventured out. And you had that for, I really kind of ended up with that for just about a year, just for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then got the Tenere in 21. That's a T7 Tenere? Yep. Not the Super T. My dad, he's got. The the Super super Tenere's are fun, but God, they are big friggin' bikes. Oh, they are. He, you know, he goes into his garage and he's like, what do I want to ride today? Mm-hmm. I gotta go more road for the twelve hundred, or you know, it's like Jesus, dude, awesome. So, yeah. dude, um, so anybody that's familiar with my channel or Instagram or whatever knows I got uh, a buddy called the Neighbor Dave, and that's just what I call him, the Neighbor Dave. So, the Neighbor Dave has a six ninety, yeah, and he went and bought it, and it was not the adventure. I think they have a six ninety adventure. I no, they've know. only had the six ninety enduro, but people have done. A bunch yeah, of okay, kits maybe that's what it is. Turn them into adventure bikes. That's that's what mine had. I had a rally kit on mine and stuff. So I, so it was set up basically as an adventure bike. All right. So he went. Um, I think he added, dude. He's just he's added a ton. But he one of the things I know is he went and got a new front wheel made. So he has a twenty one really? inch front wheel and he had there was something else he had to do to it. Hmm. You know, but he got that bigger wheel on the front of it and. He says it makes all the difference in the world just having that well, bigger wheel just to catch. The 690 has a 21 inch front wheel. I mean, mine has mine had wheels but, on it. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe his was like not the uh, the adventure, but I know it was a 690 and I know that sure. he had the small wheels on it when he bought it. It was almost. Oh, maybe of, it was a Supermoto originally. Yeah, it might have been. And he, like I said, he, he went and got the. Uh, the 21 on it and he's man he's done a lot to it for sure but he loves oh, they're they are imminently customizable like there is almost no limit to the amount of stuff that you can do to them yeah yeah it, it's we go out and ride and i'm just looking at it i'm like that from what you bought it to what it is now dude it's rad so how did you like it i don't i remember you were so i'm like six three six four so I remember I was I'm short. <laughs> I'm you? five nine. I have a 32 okay. inch inseam, but I'm five nine. So my <laughs> 690 was a 37 inch seat height. So it was a solid, Whoa. you know, one cheek at a time and toes down on one leg. <laughs> one um, cheek. Pro- probably half of my falls were just deciding to put the wrong leg down. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I I really enjoyed that bike though. It was it was a super fun bike. It was way better. It wasn't a great travel bike. Um, right. You know, I did several long road trips on it, 
and it'll do it, but it's not fun. Like anything after 200, 300 miles, you're not having fun on that bike anymore. And, but when you're in like the gnarly off-road stuff, it'll go through stuff. That's just stupid. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. You know, that it kind of goes back. My dad and I, we have this conversation all the time, light bike versus heavy bike. Right. So he kind of goes around and he tells me, Hey, you need a lighter bike. You know, you're getting out and doing this and you're doing that. You just, you need a lighter bike. And I'm in the mindset of like, my lighter bike is the Africa 2100. That is my yeah. light bike, right? I treat it like a 250. I'll go out with Critter and Carl and all those guys and we'll just go down single track or whatever. And I'm like, I'm right behind you. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I did do there, a sport events on my 700. Like, <laughs> Yeah, right, right. And so sometimes, I mean, you get around, you're like, ah, you know, like maybe a lighter bike would be a little bit better, right? Like, my, I, I understand it. But my rule of thumb on that stuff is take the lightest bike that you're willing to ride the distance on. Well, that goes down to kind of where I was going with that little statement is I think there's an argument for both, but there's no right answer. I no, think not at all. What, what you want to do dictates your motorcycle. I love long trips. I like to jump on and just go. So I want to hit gravel, I want to hit trails, I want to hit dirt, I want to hit sand, and then there's going to be pavement. And I want to be able to be comfortable doing 75, 80 miles an hour in the middle of the desert on a bike. And one of the best examples that I, I always bring up is like, we on our way to Giant Loop, uh, Critter and I did this big, long, multiple day thing just to get there. Yeah, I saw and we went down. Yeah, and we went down to Winnemucca and we met up with Grace. And on our way down there, man, we got we got hit with uh, with some weather, and we had oh, yeah. <laughs> major wind, major wind coming through, and it was just pushing everybody around. And Prater was like, "Done." We got the wind in Mucka. His helmet was off. He's like, "I'm done." We had like another fifty miles to go. He was on a he was like four fifty, two fifty L. Oh, <laughs> Lucy's a little two fifty, so he's a sail. So, I know. So we're just bouncing down uh, 95, US 95 South. The wind is just brutal, like I said. And he's like, he's leaning and he's just fighting that wind for everything he can. And he's just, he's getting tired. He's kind of getting a little bit grumpy. And he says he looks in his rearview mirror at me. And I got one hand of kind of looking around, messing with my helmet. And the wind was like, not that big of a deal on the big bike, right? So I'm kind of like, that's the perfect example, right? So he's got the little baby bike. You know, I've got the big bike, but it's what do you want to do is the correct answer. If you want a dual sport and that's all you're going to do and you're going to trailer to events and you're going to ride single tracks all the time, do grab those. Little you're going to probably enjoy gonna... a smaller bike a lot more. Yeah. hundred percent. Like my, like my not enough bike because it makes the traveling part of it miserable. Yeah. On the T7, I mean, Ooh. I did an iron butt on my T7. Like it wasn't a ton of fun, but but I still did it and it was totally doable. You know, the iron butt is still something I have not done yet. It, I'm like it, I want it, to. It was fun to do once. I I would right. probably that, never do one it. again. <laughs> right, neat right. To have like the bragging rights of yes, I rode from Colorado to Yuma, Arizona in a, in a day. 
Right, right. But it's that is portions. Cool. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I have to get a new seat before I do that. Anyways, my dad, uh, he has a buddy that passed away. His name's Ken, and major, major motorcycle guy. And uh, I don't know how many, if if at all, but I remember of any um, of the iron butts that he actually did. But I remember his license plate cover said, "Hey, iron butt guy." What is that? I said, "Hey, iron butt guy, I sleep in hotel rooms." You know, like you guys could have that. I'm gonna go take a nap. This thing was hilarious. Everybody has their own version of what adventure means. All right, that is crazy. So we kind of alluded to it. So at what point you started taking these trips, right? And I think for a lot of us, twenty was probably the first time where I did like a couple of big trips back to back. You know, I had done I had done this trip in uh, that was 2017 when I went with my girlfriend and did a big trip. 2018, we tried to do part of the Colorado BDR and broke one of the bikes on like the second day and had to come back. Um, uh, what shifter stopped working, so it was she was having to oh, hold okay. it in gear okay. just to get it to drive. So we we limped it into like Gunnison and got a got a U-Haul. <laughs> oh man, that is yeah, an that adventure. Fun. Yeah, that was an adventure for sure. But, yeah, uh, for real. Yeah, so 2020, I was on the 690. And with COVID, I ended up just burning a bunch of my my vacation time. And so I ended up doing the Arizona BDR, the Colorado BDR, and the Continental Divide Trail all that year. Oh, wow. That's pretty rad. Is that about the uh, the time that you decided, like, hey, man, I kind of want to do this full time? Kind of um, near the end of 2020, at the time I was, you know, stuck working from home, just slowly going insane in my bedroom because I'm having to make my bedroom my office and everything else. And yeah. And I got accepted by a veterans group to hike the Continental Divide. So it's a veterans organization called Warrior Expeditions. And they sponsor veterans to hike the major through hikes. And so in early 2021, I set off on the CDT on foot and because of job stuff, they wouldn't allow me to take leave or even do like an unpaid leave of absence. And so I ended up selling my house and quitting my job and basically just saying, when I finish the CDT, it's going to be a complete reset. Like, we'll see where I end up and did that. Awesome. Yeah, that was kind of the turning point of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to give this a try because I got to do something. I got to I got to do something just to help my mental health. Yeah. And uh, ended up having to come off the trail in June because I hurt my ankle. And so I was halfway up through Colorado. When I had to come off the trail and spent a few months working in Denver, just kind of figuring stuff out and made the decision to you know i had enough money from selling my house and stuff like that to try and at least do what i wanted for the next year and that was where i got the idea to try and do all of the bdrs in a year dude that is awesome i mean that you just resonated with like everybody right there like well you know i I was kind of doing the math because i was looking at i wasn't sure if anybody had done it before um, Chad Warner, um, 
I can't remember what his, he doesn't really do YouTube very much, but um, Chad Warner did it the year before uh, where he did all, he did 10 of them in a year. Um, but he was sponsored by the BMW Motorcycle Owners Association to do it, okay. and uh, and so he did he did that the year before. And it's like so I'm I'm pretty sure I can you know it's possible. It's just a matter of trying to get the timing right because the routes are so spread out and they have different conditions all the time that you know some of it's just luck. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know I started the planning process for that in probably December and set off April. Wow. That's not a lot of planning time, really, you know, for it, that kind of an event. Well, but I mean, I had done, I had done all the traveling and stuff on the bike already. So I already knew how to camp and live off of the bike for, you know, up to a month at a time. So at that point, it's, it's the same thing. You're just, you're doing resets when you're in town. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Hitting his grocery stores, hotel rooms, yeah. showers. <laughs> I mean, hiking the CDT was the best training for something like that because you're learning how to just live off of what you can carry on your back. Right. And so for a on the motorcycle, you just the main advantage is you don't have to carry it. <laughs> Not on your back, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so now that's yeah. That's actually uh, a conversation my dad and I have had because he's, if you listen to the podcast with Papa Cakes on it, you know, he's a big mountain climber guy. And so he has this mentality of being a very minimalist, you know, so everything has to be light and teeny tiny and just fit into this little, little backpack, right? Because that's what's going to go on and he's going to go climb Denali or Aconcagua or Mount Hood yeah. or whatever, you know, so he kind of has this mentality of, you know, going on the motorcycle that way. And when we went up into Canada, he was like, hmm, I mean, uh, I have a motorcycle, so I guess I can just take a, a cot with me. You know, he doesn't have to put it on his back. So he started it, bringing the, the cots. You know? On the bike, it's very similar to backpacking. The biggest difference is the weight doesn't matter as much as the size does. Like the packability right. of it is more important mm -hmm. than necessarily the weight. But it's right. still the thing of like the rule that I try and follow when I'm packing is if I'm not using it nearly every day and it's not emergency equipment, I don't need it. No, exactly. I think that's a lot of people's deal. And I'm guilty 100% of overpacking. Oh, I was given Ben crap when he did. I think it was the Washington BDR where he packed way too much stuff because he kept he kept saying in his video of it weighs almost nothing and it, and I have space for it. It's like, well, right. The, so coming from the military, the rule is 70 pounds of lightweight equipment is still 70 pounds. You know, the obvious things hit you like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like when I sat out on the out. California BDR initially, I had too much stuff. I had too much camera gear. And so I ended up mailing a bunch of stuff home from the California BDR. Cause I was just like, I don't need this. Right. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Just, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be willing to have that realization of like, I don't need to carry this. Right. Right. So what was your first super long trip? Cause you said you were already looking at, um, you know, doing all these BDRs, but you were like, well, I've already been gone for a month before I already know what it's like to live on the bike for a month. 
our I mean our trip in 2017 was two weeks, two or th- two weeks, okay. two and a half weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the CDT took me a month. Um, okay. you know, I riding down, you know, I rode to Arizona and did the Arizona BDR, so that took two weeks. You know, I had done several like multi-week trips, and then you know, hiking the CDT, I was gone for three months. So, oh wow, okay, cool. Yeah, we started in April, and I I had to come off the trail in June. So, right. okay, you know, be being on the move for that period of time was not a big deal. It was more a matter of, you know, can you not break anything? Can you not get hurt? Can you, you know, ride that distance? Because mm-hmm. um, yes. it's not a, you know, it's not. A, I don't view it as like a continuous trip. You can take days off. You, you know, I didn't have like a superset schedule. Like you can, you can take rest days. You can re- refit. You can fix stuff. You know, right. So for me, we have a couple things that are coming up that I can't really talk about at the moment. Um, but I've been really th- trip planning and thinking about what's coming up. And um, you, you, you really just kind of set it there because a lot of people look at it as this major trip, right? No, you have to break it up. Right. You, you have to break so, it up into sections that are manageable. Yes. Because one thing that... Um, I think I'm really good at because I've, I have this massive career as a truck driver and I'm over the road, whatever. So it's kind of the same thing. I can go out for multiple weeks or a month or whatever, but it's not a month trip. Like, yeah, I was gone this long, but it's almost broke down into, you know, the loads. Right. So I took this load from A to B done. Right. And I grabbed this load, whatever. And then I have to reset my hours, you know, and that gives me time to whatever, work on the truck or hang out, go sightsee or whatever. But it's kind of the same thing while you're just talking about. It's just, you know, you take all these different trips and they're just multiple trips in one giant time frame is essentially what it is. I mean, yeah. So 20, that was 22. So 2022, I was on the road for 233 days. Wow. Okay. But I never planned any part of that trip longer than about five days out. Yeah. You know, I never carried more than about three days of food with me. I never looked other than for like weather and closures and stuff. I never looked at the route more than about three days out because it's irrelevant. You know, I'm not, I'm actually 400 miles away. There's no point in me looking at, idaho when i'm in arizona it doesn't matter no and i think that's where people fall into that thing of it becomes overwhelming for them because they're looking at the end of the trip from the beginning and it's not you know like hiking the cdt you can't look at idaho when you're in new mexico that's four months away so you just look at what's the next week (laughs) where where's my next town stop that's manageable. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm four no, days absolutely. from this town. I can do that. If you start looking at the whole thing, you're done. You will overwhelm yourself instantly. Oh, without a doubt. I think my biggest thing is um, I overpack food. You know, that's pretty I, easy. I, I'm people, fair. Yeah, people I'm very like, like they need to have the entire trip's worth of food with them. Yes. And you don't. I'm guilty of that. 
you right. can stop in a grocery store. It's not a, I don't, Weird, I almost right? never use the uh, freeze dried food. Um, bags. Yeah. Just from, from doing the CDT and stuff, you don't ever use those. You use like the um, rice sides that they sell where you just pour boiling, boiling water in it. And it makes rice with like, you know, chicken broccoli flavor or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, you don't have to, I mean, on the bike, I'll carry those, you know, Campbell's chunky soup cans because like one of those is a great meal. Yeah. And all you yeah. have to do is heat it up. Pour it over some rice. Right. Yeah. yeah I've been into uh, kind of getting outside of that, like getting in more like actual cooking when we're out on the bike. You know, I've, ne I've never been much of a foodie. So for me to kind of like sit down and camp and try and like cook, cook a meal doesn't hold a whole lot of interest to me it's it's just not my thing i think for me it's um i'm trying to look ahead at some of the things that i got going on and like i need to be in better shape i need to uh do a little lifting just in case you know you took the bike over easier to get up yeah. but also like i look at the cooking as an aspect of fueling the body Right. So it's you get calories from those boil bags and stuff, but it's not necessarily the best thing. So stopping off the grocery store, you know, maybe rice with chicken and whatever other sauce you want to put into it. You know, it's kind of something that I've been kind of getting into. And again, kind of getting spoiled going back to the truck driving, because now I can think about this. I'm like, hmm, I can do this in the truck, too. You know, yeah. Go back yeah. If you can if you can cook it out of a backpack, you can cook it, cook it anywhere. Right. Yeah. It's actually been uh, kind of fun. I, I did one of these like curry things. I made this curry, chicken curry up at the uh, Critters Camp out up there. And some people were like, the, this smells really good. What do you got there? <laughs> and they're eating their boil bags. And I'm like, dude, yep. like chicken curry. What do you think? Yeah, I know. I know food. quite a few people that like when they're camping and stuff, they're just like, I'm going to make some ramen and go to sleep. It's like, that's fine for a week. But not for living <laughs> like right. you just months can't. And months no man. yeah you need a little more than that and the other thing that i am like horrible about overpacking and i don't know if you can actually overpack this is water i will just put oh, i got a thing here that, that's water very here. individual here yeah i there's i can't think of too many times where i haven't been carrying enough water because i do pretty good about trying to make sure that I have always like always have water with me. Um, probably the closest I ever came was in Arizona on section one. Cause it, cause I had, well, I ended up giving some of my water to some people that I ran into along the border. Um, okay. I ran, I, yeah, I ran into two people coming across the border who were nine plus miles from anything and had no water. Oh, and geez. so I gave them both probably a liter each and called help for them. And uh, so when I got later on in the section, it was like 105 and I'm trying to get through, you know, the off-road stuff. And I, I had the, I had, I, <laughs> it's the only time I've had to take my body armor off because I was worried that I was overheating. And I'm like, yeah. if I, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to get out of here. And so I rode out of there without my armor on. And, uh, but I, but I made the statement to myself of, if I run out of water, I am calling for help. 
because hundred percent. Yeah. I knew I was pretty close. I still had water when I got out to the pavement, so I was fine, but I, but you know, you have to be, especially when you're solo, you have to have the recognition of there's risks you just can't take. And Mm -hmm. if you need to call for help, do it. Like, like don't hesitate to either call for help or, you know, hit the button on your in reach or whatever. Like, you have to be able to recognize when you're not going to get out of something by yourself. You know, I think that's probably one of the tougher lessons for people to learn who are looking to do adventures on their own. Um, I've been trying to train my mind a little bit by doing stuff by myself out here in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I'll go on rides. And I actually did this one video, uh, like the day it all went wrong or something like that. And I tipped the bike over. It was just day, dude, everything went wrong that day, you know. I've and I went days. down. <laughs> yeah. And I went up this trail and it just started getting overgrown, 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 overgrown. And I'm like, when am I going to turn around? Right. And I remember. Yeah, you have to have that already in your head of if yeah. this happens, like you just have to take your ego out of it because you oh, just have yes. to look at it and go, I'm not doing this by myself. I'm turning around and finding yeah. another way. Right. So I got up there and I actually just, boop, I tipped over and broke some things on the bike, you know, and I was just like, okay. And then a part of that video that you don't see is I was kind of frustrated and it was hot that day, not 105 hot, but it was, it was going to be like that. But I think at the time, well, even we in the nineties, like you're working hard off yeah. road. Like it gets hot yeah, for real. And uh, the thing that you didn't see on the video is I shut everything off for a while and I rode like, just gravel and i just on my own in my head right so i was just like if i was on this particular adventure or that particular adventure what have i gone that far right because now i know i'm just down the street and i got cell service and i'd be like hey man come grab a pickup and bring me you know meet me here or whatever right yeah and i was like i gotta eliminate that out of my head what have i even like when I got up going on that road, I kind of saw very quickly. I was like, ooh, <laughs> this road. You know, that's probably if I was by myself when I should have turned around. But again, or by myself on an adventure, anyways. Yeah. But I was just kind of like, well, you know, I'm not that far from home. So I'll just keep going. When your safety nets you know? start disappearing is is when yeah. those become different decisions. Like, oh, yeah. For example, like, um, the Northeast BDR is super gnarly in some certain areas. And I ended up leaking, linking up with another guy on a 450 and we rode the route together just because it was, it was better to do it. And there was a couple of times where it's like, if I was by myself, I would have turned around. Oh, no but kidding. I know that I have help. Yeah. I know that I have somebody to help me out with getting out of here. And so it's a different level of calculation. Um, you know, there was is- a couple of times I hit snow in a couple of areas when I was doing the BDRs. And it's like, I'm not going to keep pushing. Like if I had two other people with me, I could absolutely get through this, but I'm not going to exhaust myself or risk, you know, sticking the bike in a position where I'm not going to be able to get it out by myself. You know, pushing the bike to uh, get through the snow just to find more snow. (laughs) I think we've all done that. You're like, Oh, it's a suitable section. Getting, I had to divert around a big section of Idaho in 22 because the snow was still way down low. 
And, you know, I was just looking at it going, I could get through this. I could get through probably the next mile of it. But if it's eight miles of it, there's no freaking way. Like, why am I going to fight my way through this? The next eight miles that are still going uphill, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little much. I I think the ego thing is a very good thing that I've been able to get rid of. You know, that's uh, probably writing is in trouble the most. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And I think at one point in time, I was probably that guy that would have been in trouble. But I think, you know, well, I think we all we have get, been at some point. Yeah. You know, the older I get, the more rational I think I get, you know, and uh, knowing my capabilities, when to push them, when not to push them, you know, even by myself, sometimes I'm just ripping down like a gravel road or something. And I'll look down, I'm like doing 75. I'm like, yeah, I should probably not be doing this, you know. Well, so I did L.A. Barstow Vegas, um, the dual sport ride in okay. at the end of 22. And there was stuff on that. There's absolutely no way that I would have been doing it if I was by myself or if I had luggage on the bike. Because the luggage thing yeah. routes on that route are super gnarly. It's a dual sport ride. And yeah. so there was a ton of stuff where it's like, if I was by myself or if I had luggage on the bike, I would have turned around 10 miles. Ago. <laughs> but, you know, you have to have that constant, like, evaluation of the risks to see, yeah. you know, should I still be doing this? Should I still be going? Dude, Barstow, like, uh, I'm just, again, through driving and stuff, I'm pretty familiar with Barstow and that whole area. So you went from Barstow to Vegas, and that must have just been like, well, no, it's, so what's it starts in Palmdale. Oh, even better, right? So it's a two-day yeah. event. So you go from Palmdale to Barstow the first day, and then you go from Barstow to Vegas the second day, and it's 90-plus percent dirt roads, off-road. Right. And a lot of it's those yeah. power line roads and stuff, but, I mean, I mean, some of that is super gnarly. And power the, line roads scare me. Dude, the second <laughs> the second day was a 40-mile sand wash. It oh, my gosh. <laughs> It, like I really enjoyed the first day. The second day was just literally kicking yourself in the nuts for like six hours. It sucked. Oh my god, <laughs> forty miles of sand wash. Oh Barstow, boy. that was going into Barstow, and the parking lot in Barstow yeah. was just carnage. I didn't get any any of it on video because most of my cameras were dying by then. But uh, it was just trailers everywhere with like smoked clutches and and all sorts oh, of I broken bet. bikes and. I just stopped oh and help a guy gosh. on a 690 who had broken his handlebar clamps off because he had he'd hit the backside of a wash at like 40 and basically gone through his dash. Oh my <laughs> gosh, he pulled a Travis. Yeah. Pretty, well, the first day I had to help helicopter evacuate a guy who knocked himself unconscious going up one of the hills. Dude, what? We we That's never crazy. nobody saw him fall, so we don't even know what happened. But like I rolled up on him and he was still fully unconscious. Oh my God, that's so, got to be a little spooky. I mean, you think know. you know, I was a medic, so I at least have that yeah. aspect of it. But it's not any fun to to be like, oh, he's really out. Okay, We're like we need to call for help, guys. He's not getting out of here by himself. I couldn't even imagine that. That's actually worst case well, scenario, and that's probably I, I've always said like riding solo in the backcountry. My worst possible thing that I could do is knock myself out. Because I have yeah. my in-reach, it's tracking me and all that. But if I'm not there to be able to, like, hit the button, it's going to take a long time for somebody to realize, like, hey, he's not moving. Yeah, that, you know, and then how many people take 
you know, the Enrage or the Zolio or whatever you're using and put it on their motorcycle. You I've know, had that conversation like, with people. Man. If I'm just touring on the road, I don't have a problem with mounting it to the bike. But it, but if you're off road, it needs to be on your body. I, um, I would even you like Colorado with you on the stuff, road. There's there's plenty of areas where you could end up several hundred yards from your bike pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, dude, I I get that. But I think on on the road, I think no matter what, if you have one, it needs to be on your person because it doesn't take anything for you to be ejected from your from your motorcycle your motorcycle and now the battery life on it is so good there's no excuse for like oh i need to charge it while we're riding right like no they last several days right right charge it once twice maybe three times a week and it stays on 24 7 i mean it's fine those things are so i don't know i don't know if you saw my video from it but on the second day that i was in california i actually crashed hard and had to be helicoptered out of the mojave missed that one yeah so i so it was on section two of the california bdr which is like all sand yeah um the california bdr is gnarly and it was a freak accident i hit a rock crossing a sand wash with just my foot peg like no other part of me hit the rock and so it just turned my foot around and Mm. you know crashed the bike and basically i'm just sitting there going well i can't pick the bike back up because i can't stand up I'm not getting out of here without help. And so I didn't have any cell phone reception. Um, and I ended up having to use the inReach to basically message him and be like, you know, I've got food, I've got water, I've got shelter if I need it. Like I, if I had to, I could spend the night out here. It would suck, but I could do it. But I, yeah. but until you get somebody out here to me, I'm not getting out of here without help. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude, I missed that video. Yeah, that was a pretty good one. That was a fun one. <laughs> I'll have to, once when we're done here, I'll be downstairs. I'll be I, like, I think the thumbnail on that is, uh, but did you die? <laughs> that's the running joke of that's the meerkat motto is, but did you die? Oh, I love it. I love it. So, so you're talking about making videos, right? So at yeah. what time in, in, in this whole writing career, was it like, right from the get-go you're like hey dude i'm gonna make videos and put them on the i had always been the photography video nerd like i made deployment videos from when i was in the military i did you know i've always done that stuff so that's that's always been me um and then it was just kind of a natural progression of i'm doing this stuff for recreation i want to try and do videos from it and just kind of that evolving process of being able to make good videos (laughs) yeah that's it's definitely a process right it takes a while before you kind of get it figured out and have a system right mm-hmm. so so i think a lot of people start with the um at least for me and i know a couple other guys that i've talked to has been they start videos and just kind of for them right well, i'm just gonna yeah. make these for me i don't and dude when i started doing it i knew nothing i had a gopro hero 8 black and I went, new battery, okay, play. Or, you know, record. record. And just ran that battery out, you know? And it was just like, oh, my gosh. And as you learn to be like, oh, this is cool, record. Okay, that's dumb. We'll turn it off now. And right. you get ideas from so other much people, easier. you know, watching other people's videos and being like, oh, that's cool. I should do that, you know? Well, that's – if you watch a lot of those, you know, how to make your video videos, right – that's what they say. Dude, find somebody that does something that you like and just put your own spin on it. 
which there's no original content out here anymore. Let's be real. No, but... YouTube has something like a billion uploads a day or something like oh that. God, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. But you do kind of develop your own system for things. Like you you know yeah. you figure out how like my videos look different than somebody else's, but it's just because that's how I choose to do things. There's no exactly. right or wrong answer. Yeah. So my my biggest thing that's turned is uh i'm still learning how to do it i you know i i we all are. Some, people, <laughs> some people are just like they're so good videos and you watch them like if you watch a sterling video for you're like i'm terrible you know well, so, or you watch... so sterling noren is a really good funny example because his his videos that he does for the BDRs are very different than the videos that he does for his personal channel. Yeah, 100%. And on like his writing videos sometimes can be very boring. But his BDR films are great and it's just because it's completely different stylistic choices. Yeah. Yep. And I think he has other people, well maybe do this or do that. But he when you're by other, yourself, like, he does a lot of the editing, and then he has other people helping him film and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's but it's for a different purpose. So, like, I've done videos for other people. I've done, you know, I've done production type videos for other organizations, and it's a completely different process than like a vlog for me. Right. No, I um. So I just did um a video last week called my inner monologue and it was a very tough video for me to do um it was it talks about like i try to kill myself right so it i go into my story like i'm very yeah. into this men's mental health and i want to help spread that word you know but it was it was hard to get in the mindset to do a video like that but i also wanted to do something completely different than what I've ever done. Right. So I kind of yeah. wanted to do the quote unquote documentary style. Right. So that I kind of attempted to do that. I think it came out. Okay. You know, like I, I could, one of the hardest things that is like scripting, like pre-visualizing yeah, what you want it right? to be and then making that happen. No, that, that is absolutely the most difficult thing. And I had a vision for it and, um, I think, like I said, I think it came out okay, but it was a great learning experience because I had to take color and move it into black and white. So I had to learn the color grading and I had to do all this stuff. And just, it was a completely different style of video than I've ever done. And I think it was, it was a great learning experience, except I had to live in this bubble for like two and a half, three weeks of just reliving this over and over and over and over and over again, where That's I was just like... So you the know. project that I've been working on this year is yeah. I've been riding around and interviewing a lot of the guys I served in the military with. And so that's what I'm working on editing right now. And it's the same thing. Like you're, you're having to live in this headspace that you were in at the time and it right. sucks. It makes it really hard because you're just having, you're not just having to like relive all those worst experiences you're having to almost put yourself in the same mindset just so that you get the emotion part of it. And it's Dude, super okay. hard. Yeah. I, uh, that, that's exactly what, what happened is I found myself like kind of just being depressed, you know, <laughs> reliving yeah. this. I was just like, 
oh god you know you think you're over it and it's like oh crap right you you have because i don't think people can understand like unless you've ever been to that point right um you can understand somebody's there but you don't understand that feeling you don't understand what that feels like yeah yeah that empty lost just overwhelming weight of a feeling right and I found myself with that feeling like for days at a time. And I thought hitting, you know, publish and and setting it to go was just going to be like, okay, done, let's go. And it kind of was. What I wasn't prepared for was the next morning when the video came out that all of a sudden text message started blowing up. My DMs on Instagram were blowing up the comments and then people all three like i'm getting text messages dms and comments from the same person i'm trying to follow a conversation i'm like what is going and all of a sudden your phone rings and there's literally two separate occasions the guys call me bawling on the phone because they have a story that they haven't been able to tell it resonates with so many people I, i wasn't ready for that so at the end of the day i just threw up an instagram story dude i was emotional man i was like about ready just to break down and start crying again, you know? And I was just like, I just had to let everybody know I'm, I'm out. Phone is off. I got to just step away from this headspace. Right. And it took until let's see the video came out Saturday. And I think Wednesday, Thursday, that started toning down. Yeah. So it was just like, okay. I can breathe. When I, when I do this, when I finish at, I, I don't know. I'm not actually sure yet if the project I'm currently working on is going to go on YouTube or not. It may go somewhere else, but it, but it really will probably be one of those things of like, I've just spent the last four months editing this. I'm going to take a break from everything for a while because you're having to live in that headspace. Yeah, man. I, you know, if you're spending that kind of, that kind of time and a little bit that I know about that project, I would almost say, you take that somewhere else. And if it does get over there, maybe at another time you put it on the tube. I'm I'm know. talking to a couple of our friends, mostly from the Tuck project of, of trying yeah. to get it potentially thrown on something bigger than just YouTube. But I have to edit it first. Like that's the biggest thing. You know, I have 40 plus hours of interviews that I've done over the last seven months that I have to try and turn into something. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of, a lot of stuff to go through. You know, yeah, a lot of time, just like you said, it's that headspace, you know, you got to be there again. And that's man, four months of editing in that headspace. But you want to, but you also, you, you feel the excitement of telling that story and the, the need to tell that story or those stories, you know, it's giving Mm -hmm. voice to all of those experiences. It really is. And, uh, I think what you're doing with that project is pretty pretty rad and he kind of alluded to it and i know that <clears throat> this documentary hasn't came out yet so we got to really be uh kind of on a uh, little bit of careful where we're talking and stuff but well, you this, did talk this is separate than the tuck project right right yeah i just like you kind of alluded to it earlier being on the tuck project you have your project that you're doing right now yeah and then you also tuck project was actually before for what you're doing the Tuck right project was it kind of intermixed the, the ride yes kind of so yeah. i set off for my interviews and stuff 
basic well i did a couple of them like through skype and stuff because there's guys in like germany yeah. and stuff but uh but yeah i've been working on my documentary since april ish okay and did the june trip to tuck came back from that did did the oregon bdr did um portions of the idaho bdr that i had missed and so i have videos from that that are up on my channel like that's the most recent videos that i've done and that was all from july and then since then i've been doing that my documentary project you know i i just got back from that um earlier this week oh okay and that was you know that was going to the rest mm -hmm. of the united states basically to meet up with people and interview them and that's i'm actually looking forward to seeing that so when that thing drops you gotta let me know where to go find it that one's gonna be yeah that, i'm working on the highlight reel for it right now and that that will probably end up being on my youtube channel just to kind of gather interest for that project um i'm not yeah. sure what it's going to end up looking like at the end because because it is a lot i mean it's 20 plus interviews and you know it's a it's a it was four years of our lives so you know it's hard to kind of narrow that down dude i i think that's how can you you know so you're going to take like this four years down for like what an hour you know it's, it's probably going to end up being two videos um covering different periods of time but they'll probably both yeah, be probably an hour and a half oh still I mean, though you know years hour and a half yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so tough you know so but um let's get into the talk a little bit right yeah so um why don't you go ahead and just describe what the project was and you know what the awareness was being raised for by doing well that. the the organization that you have the flag up for behind you um veterans back 40 helped sponsor it and yeah. basically what we did is we took seven veterans to tuktoatuk northern territories canada and back from portland essentially well astoria and on the coast the, the goal on it was to film a documentary oriented around the issue of veteran and active duty suicide which is an extremely important you know topic because you you, the you hear the numbers that are coming in all the time and it's just i think i think they've uh they've dropped a little bit but it's still well, was it so here's the problem. day so the cdc released the estimate of 22 veterans a day several years ago okay probably probably yeah, 10 years ago at this day. point but their the issues with their methodology is that it was probably underreported in the first place because okay. it's not taking into account things like intentional drug overdoses or even intentional car accidents and so another group of people did a study more recently that actually came up with a number closer to 44 a day just wow. because of intentional wild, overdoses yeah. and things like that right and so yeah well and i mean like a lot of times a suicide isn't counted as a suicide but also they aren't recording whether the person was a veteran or not like it's not something okay. that's recorded yeah. on the death certificate so so you just don't have the data available to make that evaluation um yeah. So it could be anywhere from, you know, CDC redid the numbers to somewhere around 16 a day, 
or it could be 40 a day. You know, we, we don't know, but just from our experiences in talking, excuse me, just our experiences with like talking to veterans and stuff like that, honestly, it's probably on the higher end, not the lower end. I would, I would definitely believe that too. It's gotta be probably somewhere on the higher end. I mean, um, to give you an idea from from my battalion that I served with, which was roughly right. 350 people for four years, we've lost six people that I know of since then. And that's a high percentage out of 350. Yeah. It's and the sad part is there's there's at least one or two other people that I'm not sure if they were suicides or not. So the and and there's probably two that I just don't know about. Like there's there's high numbers within every organization there. I don't know that there's a veteran out there that doesn't know someone who's not killed themselves. Like every veteran out there knows somebody. Which is absolutely crazy to me. Yeah. Know? It's a hundred percent, which is insane. Knows. Yeah. Cause I think the majority of the population, they might know somebody who knows somebody who did that. Maybe, you know, but they're tangentially, you know, sure. Yeah. But Pretty, you know, like I, like my direct supervisor when we were in Iraq committed suicide. Two of the guys that I worked with in the engineers committed suicide. Like I know directly three. And then I, I knew of, you know, I knew the other guys. I just wasn't like friends with them. Man, that is, I don't even know what to say to something like that. Like I can't even fathom. And one of the, I but actually just the, heard, but that was one of the things on that trip is we were running into other veterans, you know, even, even veterans from other countries. And they were all saying the same thing. Like, like all, every one of them had their story of, oh yeah, no, it's a huge issue. And I don't understand why no one seems to be talking about it. Hopefully the Tuck project is going to uh, definitely start that conversation. And bring a little bit more awareness to it, I would hope, you know. I think um seems like it was done the right way, you know, and um we certainly tried. Seeing, <laughs> well, yeah, but seeing just um uh, what little teeny you know views into it, like open up the window a little bit on social media that was released, why you guys were doing that. Um, uh, it just seemed awesome and it just seemed like it was being done correctly and it's i don't know um i'm really looking forward to seeing it to be honest with you it i, I mean I it you know it's one of those things of the trip itself is is just the vehicle by which the story is being told like you could have yeah. told that story any number of ways we just chose to do it by putting people on motorcycles and going to a really remote part of the world um you know, any one of us could have done that trip, you know, tons of people ride to tuck or ride to Prudhoe Bay, like they do it every year. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not the point. The point of it was to deal with that issue and bring a group of people together through adversity to allow them to open up and tell their stories. And we got some incredible stories from the, from the guys that were involved in the trip. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see what happens with that. You know, I, I don't know what the trip was like, right? Obviously, I wasn't there, but I can only imagine like the riding would be like the fun part. It was, hey, hey, we'll just be bopping down the road, whatever. But I would really think nighttime, you know, campfire story time, you know, that's when the real magic would happen. 
I well, use we that also, in, a, in a bad term, but you we know. were also on intercoms with each other the whole time. So I mean, there was there was times where the whole group would just pull up tight, and we'd have a whole conversation in the helmets. Right. Yeah. You know, because we, yeah. we it's six thousand miles. <laughs> like you, you know, you've got to just have <laughs> conversations. You can't sit there and listen to you know Spotify the whole time. Like there was definitely right. those times too but there was a lot of the times where we were just sitting on on intercoms with each other telling stories or talking about experiences and and talking about that stuff and that was great yeah i can, you know sometimes those intercoms like i say cardo baby <laughs> yeah cardo like, did great yeah the mesh except you can't go more than like five feet from somebody and turn a corner and you're gone but you know it's a kind of funny with with my dad again you know so we we go riding and he's a total like oregon trail kind of oregon history kind of nerd oh nice like yeah. a better term right so we're just flying down roads and we'll be at gravel we'll be no in the middle of nowhere and he'll be like you see this right over here well that was blah 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 and you're like where did this come from <laughs> you know or if we turn down this and we hike down four miles and we turn left at the 30th tree there's a pioneer woman's grave. Oh, but but some okay. of like just running across some of that stuff is the greatest part about adventure right. travel. You know, when oh, I was 100 like yeah. following the CDT and you come up, you you cross, you know, the Lewis and Clark pet areas, and it's just like, holy crap, they were coming across here, you know, on horseback and right. like with canoes yeah. and stuff. Like, holy crap. I know it's kind of it's kind of wild being over here in Oregon. You know we have the Barlow Trail, San Barlow Trail. We have the Oregon Trail. Most of the Oregon Trail is private property now, but there are yeah, sections you can sense. actually ride. You know, some of it's turned into roads or whatever. And there's actually a military bombing range, old bombing range out in Boardman, and you can see the two tracks on Google. You know, to go right through it. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's pretty cool, but it's it's one of those things. My dad was like, "Oh, you see." Blah, blah, blah. Well, the, that's where they a, came down. A big part of the Nevada BDR goes up the Pony Express Trail. That's cool. So you're able you to know? literally just ride up the Pony Express Trail, yeah. and it's crazy. <laughs> it's you know, it's pretty funny. The town of Mitchell is like uh, in Oregon. It's it's a little Pony Express stop where guys would switch horses and take off again, and it's just kind of wild sitting there because some of the buildings there are, I think, the OG buildings that are still there that they're being used as the grocery store or whatever, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. it's cool. And then doing the same thing. Like I haven't experienced being down there and, and riding those parts of the trails yet, but it's kind of, like you said, it's, it's the cool part of ADB riding and just getting out and you're like, Oh dude, I'm here. You know, they saw that same mountain, you know, or whatever. Yeah, you don't have a choice, but to just live in that experience because especially when you're right. riding solo, there's nobody else to share it with. You're just out there. <laughs> Right. And for me, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, I don't have phone service. So I got to put something out in my notes about a sign or a mountain or something. And I got to go home and like, oh, I'm back in service land. Look at Google it. Yeah. Like, what the heck was that? You know, assignment what? When I'm riding off road, I'm typically filming continuously just because I'll otherwise I'll miss stuff. And yeah, I'll leave myself reminders on my head cam of like, I need to look up what this was. I do that too. Like, I'll stop. And then, like, the next clip, I'll be like, hey, dude, so remember to go back in the last clip, probably, like, two minutes into it, and this happened. You yep. know, because sometimes, you know, when you're editing, you're like, mm, 
that's not that cool. And then you go to the next one, you're like, oh yeah, I got to go back there and get that. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, that is kind of funny stuff. So the Tuck Project, when you guys left, I guess one of the cooler things that was really, I don't know, viral or whatever, but it was everywhere seeing you guys leaving right <laughs> and here's the astoria bridge with a bunch of motorcycles and a freaking helicopter taking you out of town so so we had three was... guys who were coast guard veterans on that trip right and we had okay one we had one guy who was working out of the astoria coast guard station and then one guy was whose wife Carl. was working out of the coast guard station okay and so we had gotten permission from the coast guard to film um we had done all that stuff in advance and then we had talked to them about whether or not we would maybe be able to get like a flyover or something like that. And they basically just were able to set it up to where their training schedule aligned with when we were leaving. And so when they were out on their training flight, they just, they just shadowed us out over the bridge and got that. And uh, that yeah, was that was freaking cool. cool. <laughs> what was, I so I was in the back of the group. Um, I was, I was one of the last riders on the left side of the group. And the hell I could the helicopter was so close I couldn't see it. Um because oh, no I couldn't turn my head to see it. I couldn't even see him in my mirrors, but he was so close that his his downdraft was buffeting us. And so on I'm, I know I had my head cam running, but on our on our intercoms, I'm having to talk to the guy next to me of like, hey, g- like give me some space because he might push me into you. And I really don't want to have a oh wreck. my gosh. <laughs> Can we stagger a little bit more? We were as much Dude, as we crazy. needed to be tight for the filming part of it. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was what was probably the funniest part of that for me was because I could see all the cars in the other lane going the other direction. And there was just a whole lot of like. <laughs> <laughs> there was posts on like Facebook of stuff in the local like Astoria Facebook group of like, was the president in town? What the hell was going on? Like, what was like all this oh, stuff? Really? Like. What the hell was happening? Why was a helicopter following six motorcyclists on the bridge? Well, and, uh, and the uh, the local police station, the police departments and the fire departments for there's like three communities right there that we ended up going through. Um, all provided an escort. Um, nice. I don't even I don't even know how that came about because we weren't initially like really asking for any of that. And then all of a sudden they just like kind of piled on of like, oh yeah, we'll take you. And so they literally ran us like lights and everything the whole way out to the bridge. I was like, oh, no what kid. the hell is going on? It's like, yeah, we don't need to stop at those stoplights. We'll just keep Pretty going. Pretty much. But, but it was also the fact of like somebody got in contact with them and it was kind of one of those things of like, this is what the project is about. And right. most fire departments and police stations are veteran heavy and so they were all like oh absolutely like we'll we'll chime in on this too let's do it yeah that i was actually going to bring that up because uh i was going to say uh once they figure out what the project was about they were everybody's in at that point let's go and that was universal like that was from astoria to tuck and back as soon as anybody found out what we were doing and why they were on board oh no like the level of support that we got was unbelievable. Right. So you guys got out. Was there any other of those kind of escorts along the way? I don't even know if we could talk not, about that. No, not for that stuff. Um, that was just kind of unique because we had the Coast Guard guys with us. Yeah. Um, 
we people but people knew who we were before we showed up um, so like there was pulled, definitely a buzz there was awareness yeah like like yeah. pulling into dawson city people already knew who we were oh you're the veterans group like you know all that stuff um okay and i mean you know with adventure motorcycling anyway you run into people at rest stops or campgrounds yeah. or whatever and kind of share stories and stuff so we were running into the same people the entire way and because well i mean hell there's only two roads that go up there so you see the same right. people <laughs> kind of just leapfrogging each other yeah well once you get to dawson city to tuck there's one road so you, so right. everyone you see you're gonna see them at least probably twice going up and coming back it's kind of cool though absolutely oh yeah there was there was a couple from brazil that we talked to a bunch there was you know there was a couple of people along the way that we kind of helped because we had a support vehicle with a trailer and so we had more tools than most people had you know we were in Inovic and we helped a guy change a flat because he had he had blown all of his spare tubes and you know stuff like that so i heard you guys had a couple blown tires along the way we had more trouble with our support vehicle than we did with the bikes well that's right yeah yeah so we had, we had two flat tires on bikes we had we ended up replacing all four tires on the trailer um yeah like the the dempster highway is rough it's not difficult riding at all it's just a gravel road but the like the rocks are sharp um, one of the flat, I think one of the flats on the trailer and one of the flats on the truck were literally just rocks going through the tread. It wasn't even hitting like a nail or anything like that. It was a rock. Yeah. And I think yeah, our flat on the bike rear tire was a rock that just went through the tread. Oh, man. So, that is so and then we had, you know, we had, sure. we had three bikes with blown fork seals after we got back down the dumpster. Mine currently has a blown fork seal right now. Well, so it's that calcium chloride stuff they put on the road to keep the dust oh, down. Yeah, that's brutal. It turns yeah. into mud, and then when it dries, it's just concrete. And so we got down into Dawson um, City again after coming back down the Dempster, and like all of a sudden, everybody's coming up on the intercoms of, "Oh crap, my fork seals are leaking!" And so we had a whole thing where we had to pull pull the bikes over and you know do a seal saver around them to try and get all the crap out right. from under them and clean all the bikes off and yeah, man, that is that is some brutal stuff. And you, I got to tell you, if you are that, not able to be self supporting, you should not go up the dumpster. <laughs> it is yeah yeah fully on your own for five hundred miles round both ways. Dude, that is. That is crazy. And I know that uh, some of that stuff will get on like your radiator and just overheat. Cause it oh, yeah. One of the guys bikes overheated coming back into uh, Eagle Plains. I think I heard. I think I heard a, a story about that. I don't know if we should talk about it, but I think I heard like something have to do with limited water in the town. Well, so Eagle Plains, they have to truck the water in. Right, that's what I heard. Like there's yep. nothing. The Eagle Plains is essentially three buildings, um, and yeah. So we got into Eagle Plains, and one of the guy's bikes was fully overheating because the radiator had gotten covered in mud, and he pulled into like the maintenance shop and was basically just like, "Please help! I just need to wash the radiator off 
like, or my bike is going to lock up. And they did let him spray the bike off and wash it, but you can't wash the bikes. Like you can't wash the vehicles because they have to ship all that water in. So they were just nice and allowed him to do that. But we had to wait until we got down to Dawson Creek or Dawson city before we were able to actually clean everything off. Hey, that is, can you imagine living in a community like that? Like everything's, I don't know. Water has to come. Yeah. Well, and I mean like, like, Eagle Plains, I'm not sure that anybody really lives there year round. It's not, it's not really a town. It's essentially a gas stop because it's 260 something miles from Dawson city to Eagle Plains. And it's the only gas stop along that entire distance. It seems very conveniently located. I think they have cars, not for motorcycles. So, I mean, that's, that's a journey. I mean, 260 miles. So you guys had to have fuel with you to top off in between, right? I Two of us had enough gas to do it in a single run. Everybody else had to carry spare gas. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So the AT-AT, I can do that. So I can preface this, right? Oh, so we were working them. Like, we were being real yeah. gentle on them. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, because I am brappy. I am just like, rap, 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 rap. Yeah. I just, man, I just go and gosh, there's no way. And then I got some new tires on there right now too, that it's just like my fuel economy just went, you know, but it's, but it, it's so. again, that level of like risk calculation because yeah. you're willing to do that stuff under certain circumstances where, yeah, you're getting 30 miles to the gallon, but then there's other times where you realize like, there's no, there's no one coming for me if I run out of gas. So I have to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I'd have to carry at least one or two gallons. I carried a spare place. gallon just in case, but I ended up giving it to everybody else more than using it myself. Cause I have the camel tank on my T7. Okay. So if I'm, yeah. if I'm being nice to it, I can definitely hit 300 miles on a tank of gas. I wonder under perfect conditions where I was riding, how far I can go. I should probably check that out one of these days. It's worth trying it once or twice. I mean, I I figured it out from Nevada because there's a section in Nevada where you have to go 220 miles with no services. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time where I ever like sat there and watched my gas mileage. And if I'm in sixth gear going 50 on dirt, I can get 60 miles to the gallon. Wow. Okay. You just, just, you know, you're just being nice to it. You know. Right, right, and yeah, you know, yeah. So, so my dad was on the T seven. We were coming back down uh, Vancouver Island, which is a really weird setup up there that they have because they'll, you know, we're used to down here in the states, like at a, at an exit on the freeway, you have like gas stations and it has all the whatever, and you get off and it has arrows like where to go, right? And I yeah. don't know if this is actually like huge Canadian, like Canadian thing all the way across the country or whatever, but I know on the island we were coming down the main main highway and my dad was just getting low on fuel and we were kind of getting after we had somewhere to be, you know, so we were and a stock we were trying to get does not have a great amount of range, right. So we, uh, we're looking at stuff and my dad is just, he's starting to get a little grumpy. Let's put it that way. Like slow down. I'm almost out of fuel, you know? And then of course I'm like, pass an exit just goes screaming by me. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was supposed to look for fuel. And he's like, God dang it. 
So we finally get up and I'm like, okay, here's, here's a fuel sign for this exit. Cool. And the way this road is, it's like down the middle and there's a town that way. And there's a town that way, but it's oh. still several miles off the road. Right. But you see the fuel sign on the exit and then you get off and there's nothing. It's like, as you get further fuel. north, hey, which they were, they were better about having stuff that showed you like where the fuel was or yeah. how far away I was it was. Say, I hope so. I but hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot and of it's the... in the United States too. Like you have to, you do not pass the opportunity to get gas. That's the golden rule though. That is a hundred percent the golden rule. I just fueled up, but I'm going to fuel up again. Yeah. yeah. We'll just stop. I've, I have definitely gone 80 miles and then gotten gas again. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have. Yeah, you, like, have you just to. don't risk it. Yeah, you hit that eighty miles, and then you know, might be stretching. Let's just top off. No big deal. Yeah, right. One on then on we, mine because I have the spare tank. So there's been times where I've just refilled the spare tank. Yeah, but so the, that's the, that's the, the camel tank. On so the you should, is the reserve you should is the so camel big tank on that that doesn't have it. So we're talking over each other. I know. So, sorry, it's a little bit. Yeah, of delay. no. It, it is. It, it's all good. It is all good. Uh, say that again, but it also explain your camel tank, because the one thing that I've that I know about some of my audiences, there is I'm getting a lot of messages from brand new writers. Yeah. Right? So they're like, oh, this is great. But what's this? Right. And I even know a couple of them personally. So they're like, oh, what is this? Yeah. So describe the camel tank for them, because I know what it is. You know what it is. Yeah, most people do, but describe it and then just redo your. So the so the stock statements. tank on a Tenere seven hundred is four point two gallons, so so you get two hundred and twenty miles if you're being kind of nice to it. And the Camel Tank is a Canadian company run by a guy named Corey, and it's an auxiliary tank that's basically a gallon and a half. It's five liters extra. And he makes them for a bunch of different bikes, but I but the the Tenere is definitely probably one of the ones that people put them on the most because it gives you essentially a 300 mile range. If you're being nice to the bike, you know, I, when we were coming back down from, from Eagle Plains to Dawson city, I ran it the whole way without refilling just to see what I could do. And it's 265, 270 miles where there's no services. And I still had three bars on my fuel gauge when we pulled into Dawson city. So it, it, it's just vacuum fed. So essentially when the main tank starts to run down, it feeds into the main tank, but it gives you just that safety margin instead of having to carry, you know, a one or a two gallon gas bag or rota packs, right? It's plumbed into yeah. the bike. And so you just fill both of them up when you fill up and you're good to go. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for explaining that. And you also brought up the roto packs. So the roto packs are the little fuel tanks that'll, be behind your luggage or whatever yeah i, I use um, those for years and they work they're just not the you know the camel tank is way handier because you don't have to worry about stopping and filling back up it just does it right i think that's pretty rad actually um i was just again up in canada and uh there's a couple people that were talking about the rotopacks that they were just leaving on their bikes essentially and they never really used it but they always had that weight on there and it ended up um one one bike ended up breaking the uh the rack that it was attached to mm. ended up cracking that but somebody else was it 
I can't remember. Was it John's? I think it was John's bike, but I, I could be wrong. But somebody ended up breaking, like cracking part of their frame, the actual motorcycle frame, because of just the weight constantly just shaking and vibrating. And it was just always it's, on there full. I mean, it's, I mean, it's liquid, like it's heavy. You know, a yeah. gallon of gas is it's lighter than water, but it's still seven pounds or something per gallon. Like it's heavy. Yeah, I think it's seven point eight, I believe. Water's like eight gallon. Water's basically eight pounds per gallon. Gas is a little lighter just because it's not as yeah. dense. But right. yeah. Still. It's weight. that around. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's crazy, man. So I think acquiring minds want to know. You guys made it up to the Arctic Ocean. And I did see some pictures of you crazy guys swimming in the Arctic Ocean. It was not pleasant. I, I don't know that I'm on any of the footage of us swimming because because I was not in the water for very long. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I pretty much got my feet in and I was just like, nope, I'm good. Because I was already cold. It was it was like 55 that day. And so I had a bunch of my extra clothes on and stuff. But I got up there and I'm just like, no, I'm I'm already cold, dude. I'm not doing this. <laughs> and there's no uh, beach. It's things? all just like rocky and stuff. Right. So, so trying to get into the water was sketchy. All the locals were laughing at us and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm <laughs> was sure funny. they're like, oh, here's some more guys. I well, can't so remember who it was. Tuk -tuk is like interesting a... because there hasn't been tourism in Tuktoatuk. Like they didn't finish the road until 2017. So the town is not accustomed to really having tourism yet. It's still kind of a new thing for them. And they're kind of still getting used to it. So it's kind of fun for them. Like they're, everybody was so nice. It was wonderful up there. But they're all still kind of getting used to like, oh, there's a bunch of people from like all over the world riding their bikes up here. What the hell is going on? <laughs> right. They don't understand the the thrill of that or the calling for some of us to be, I want to go up there. Yeah. You know? They're, they're getting there, you know, they're starting to have more tourist stuff there, like amenities and things, but it, but everybody's, everybody was so nice. Yeah. I saw somebody, was it like a, a pink dinosaur thing that was like a floaty floating around in there? Um, we had a couple of floaties, thing. and then we also had one of those inflatable, like Halloween costumes of a pink, pink unicorn. That made I did see a couple of times. I don't know that they made an thing. appearance up at the Arctic Ocean, but yeah, we had a, we had a few yeah. cool floaties. Yeah, 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 I saw that. I was just like, okay, that's funny. <laughs> that is funny. So, what was it like when you got up there? I mean, that's only half the journey, right? So you got to turn and burn it and you guys got to come back to. And I was constantly but... reminding people of like, guys, we are halfway. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, that's the rule in mountaineering. That's the rule in so many things of like, when you arrive at the destination, you are halfway because right. we still had another um, 2,700 miles or whatever to get back to Portland. And so it's hard to describe like the Arctic is kind of hard to describe. It's very surreal because there's nothing that looks like that. You know, I've, I've traveled a lot. There is nothing that looks like North of the Arctic circle other than that. Um, it's all, you know, we cross the, you cross the Canadian Rockies as you're kind of going up through the Arctic circle and then you get out onto essentially the tundra. And so it's not particularly hilly, 
It's it's very flat, and it's just these stunted trees called Krumholtz trees, because the weather and the environment is so gnarly, it, they can't get any bigger. And so it's a whole bunch of, you know, eight foot tall Christmas trees and swampland, essentially, because we were there right around the summer solstice. So the sun's up 24 seven and the snow's all melted. So it's just this swamp kind of, you know, ground that is a perfect mosquito breeding ground. That's why the mosquitoes get so bad yeah. up there is because they can live, you know, they breed just all in that swamp stuff. And it's just that for 300 miles. <laughs> until like, you, yeah, get, no. you, know, you get into the Inavik and then you get into Tuktootuk. And, you know, there was a couple of times we got the drone up high enough where you could, you felt like you could see the curvature of the earth. Oh, no kidding. It's just because it's just, wild. there's no terrain features for a couple Wait. hundred miles. You mean the earth's not flat? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, Come man. I've I've gotten into that with a couple of people on on internet stuff. It was just like you can't be that dumb. Like, so the fact that that still has a come like it's totally tangential. But the yeah, fact that that's yeah. having a comeback is so irritating. <laughs> I I we're we're taking this off ramp for a minute, so I kind of find it entertaining, right? Oh, I love messing so, with them. Oh, I don't mess with them, but what I do is I. Like I'm, I'm swiping through Instagram, for example, right? So you're swiping, 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 and then also that will come up, and I'm like, okay, I want to watch this, right? So you go off, or and even you, just you watch videos it. from like the ISS or something, and like the first 15 comments are all idiots, like great green screen, and like, right, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> like, bro, you can see it with a pair of binoculars. What is fucking wrong with you? <laughs> I know. So I go through these pages, and then I like. All of a sudden, now my feed, all the suggestions are now all flatter stuff. And I'm like, oh, it triggered man. the algorithm, and you're just it like, it does. And then it's like, hole. it takes me a week to get away from it. I'm like, oh my God, back to puppies or something, you know? It takes yep. me forever to get back to it. But when it's on there, it is just, it's gold. The comment sections is where it's at. You just got to find a, a post where you're like, what? And then just it's, start hitting the comments. It's amazing. It's, entertaining but it, it's also irritating of just like the fact that people can be that dumb in this day and age this is a whole you hold all of human knowledge is available to your fingertips and i know there's, that's what you believe there's more computer uh that computer is more efficient and does like so much more than when we went in the Apollo missions, we had rooms, I, rooms full of computers, right? I How, visited the that? Air and Space Museum in DC and they have a, they have one of the original computers set up against one of the walls. And so it takes up like the whole Gosh. corner of this room. Yeah. And they have a placard up that has all the information on like how much memory it had and all this stuff. And I, and I took a picture of it and then I did the math later on. And so when I shared it online, I'm like, the the phone that took this picture had like sixteen and a half thousand times the computing power of the computer that it's taking the picture of. <laughs> oh my god, dude! It was, How crazy it was mind blowing. Oh my gosh, that is just astronomical how far technology has come. I mean, we're living in like this. I mean, yeah, think about when we were down. kids, right? You know, no, no. It's taken up, but think about where we were when we were kids. I'm 48. How old are you? I don't even know. 39. Like I, I was in 
was in fourth or fifth grade when I sent, because I was at a technology school. So I sent like an email through intranet in like, in early, early nineties sometime. And that was like a huge deal. Yeah. Right. Well, you got to thank ham operators like myself, guys. I would okay, Jake. I had nothing to do with this, but you know, a lot of the, the digital platforms and everything that we know about actually come from ham operators trying to push things. Like they were sending the one DARPA. email. Yeah. I mean, they were sending an email in like the sixties. Like yeah. they figured out how to send things and packets and things like that. But Excuse me. It's, it's wild where technology is coming. I mean, the phones, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I mean, you have to, the fact that we still call this a phone is stupid right i know right it's the pocket computer it's pretty rad though and then it's you know the android versus the people that make mistakes with the apple phones (laughs) android whatever yeah they're with half my viewers bye i'm an android guy too like whatever yeah i don't know i saw you had the uh, the quad lock case on there too that's uh that's an I've gone back and forth with a couple of different ones. I used RAM for a little while. I used SP Connect, which is another. It's kind of a. It's similar to the RAM, um, okay. or to the uh, Quad Lock. You just turn it and okay. click it in. But yeah, I started using the Quad Locks at least two years ago, and yeah, haven't ever looked at anything since. It's the only thing I've had where I haven't dropped a phone off the bike. Yeah. And I fall uh, over all the time. So, you know, it's nice yeah. to, to crash test things every once in a while. <laughs> I know. I, I do that with my Garmin. Sometimes I don't put it in the cradle enough and I'm just like, what hit my leg? Oh, there's my Garmin bouncing down the road. Oh, try, yeah. Get it. I have the yeah. I have the tablet mounted to mine and thankfully it locks in there really well. So I've I've never launched that off the bike because that would be really bad. Yeah. I know. I actually have the the locking thing. Um, for it, but I just I think it's a tour tech that locks it in. But I just I've never met oh, it yet. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think uh, the quad lock was probably one of the best upgrades I think I've did because I had that RAM too, and it, it was just like worked. sometimes you had like yeah, sometimes you had to put that little uh rubber band over the top so it doesn't go launching, you know. But it's just I just like the click, and then I like the charging point, you know, or the charger point. Port. I so my, I had a wireless one on mine forever, and actually Damn. on the tuck trip it died. Okay, but I mean, so I had it for three years, and it worked fine just yeah. on the wireless charging in every condition imaginable. And then I finally right. killed it. Yeah, so. I just click, and you know, I'm sure you do the same thing. Like I'm always uh, so I got you know my Garmin on this side, and then over here I've got Gaia running, which I love. I think guy is better than most anything out there. So I'm using that 90% of the time. The, the Garmin is so just the like, one that I will suggest you check out is called drive mode dashboard two. Okay. It's, so do you, you know, the AJP PR seven? No. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's like a rally bike kind of thing, but it comes with a tablet as the dash. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. I know. That, I didn't know the, the name of it for its dash. Okay. Okay. And, and you can just That's download cool. the app. Um, they have a beta for it now for a, a better version of it. And that's what I've been running. But at least, for, especially for off-road, it's the best I've ever found. Really? You're able to just upload like a GPX and it shows you the GPX and you can follow it on the tablet. 
And so I've been using drive mode dashboard since 2019. Okay. And it just freaking works. <laughs> like I'm gonna have to definitely you can use that out, you I... can use Bluetooth controllers on your handlebars to to run the app, so you don't even have to take your hands off the handlebars. You can run it like a rally computer. A lot of the yeah. a lot of the like rally races, they've used it to run the 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 rally map. Um, you know, I've used it as my dash, and then also just for all of my off road stuff for years. It just works. The developer is super involved in the ADV community and like putting features on it as people request things and all that. So like any of my videos getting off road, that's what I'm using. I think that's pretty rad, actually. Um, we'll have to make sure I get that from yeah. you because I'll probably forgive when we get done here. I have to go back through. The nicest thing about the tablet is just having the 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 increased size of the screen because i have a seven inch tablet on my dash of Dang. being able to see like the different roads that aren't on your route because right. you pull up to you know a five-way intersection it's like where the hell am i going left always left <laughs> that's my rule you of thumb. Are, you are slowing down bad oh yeah you kind of were starting to drag there a second ago too yeah but... That's all right. Part of doing remote uh, broadcasts like this. Nature of the beast. Yeah, it's all good, man. Uh, yeah, Guy is kind of the same way. Um, you know, you can see all the different routes, but as of right now, I haven't used that. But as of right now, Guy is, for me, the best one. Uh, you know, the the different layers that I have on it right now, I could see, um, you know, private property, you know. I've, I've gates, written with people using Guy it definitely works. I, one of the biggest differences is I can have it do direction of travel is up and it will follow me. Same. Cause yeah. I know a lot of times on some of the Gaia stuff, you have to like hand move it to, to keep your route in place. No, I don't know if that maybe I buy it. I don't know if that is not um, part of the premium maybe. package, but I just, I hit the button you know the center me and i hit it again and it flips everything so i'm going up yeah and it just it tracks right where i go and i can zoom in and zoom out depending on how much i want to see my dad will be like so far out he's like we got a turn coming up and i'm like i don't see it and you zoom in you're like it's like 10 miles still yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> i definitely have to play with that on mine sometimes of like yeah how how close do i need to see stuff versus where do i need to see my next turn yeah, but, I, yeah. I, I generally keep it to where when the turn comes into the screen, I'm kind of like, it's not far. I well, don't know how far, the but it's not far. The, uh, the hand controller on mine is I can zoom in and zoom out from my handlebars. And so, like, as it comes closer to me, I can zoom closer in to get a better That's rad. view. Yeah, it's super. That handy. is rad. Sometimes, as everybody knows, when you're too far out, there could you be looking that for your turn road, road right here, like three yeah. miles away. <laughs> yeah, you could be this little road that you don't see, and you're like, "Oh, here I am," and you get down, and you're like, oh, "And that's one of the other nice things is you can download all the maps. So, like, I have all of yeah. North America downloaded to the tablet, and it includes a lot of those little trails and stuff. So, that's especially rad. like the Oregon BDR, there's a like you a couple of those trails you are just in the middle of nowhere and there's a million of little cow pads and stuff going off in every possible direction and a lot of the you know until you zoom way in on yourself you can't tell which one's the right one 
And right. so I only ended up off trail on the Oregon BDR once, um, which was actually the same one. Were you with Ben when he, because they, because they got lost yeah. right in that same area, but it's literally just, well, I, is followed that... cow, I followed a cow path down the hill. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I guess Isn't I'm going that... this way. <laughs> Wasn't that right by heart mountain or something? Um, going into the gate. Right, I remember watching yeah, the right video the on that. Yeah. Beat um diversion yeah we'll uh it's one of those ones where literally just the trail looks like you should keep going straight and you actually need to make like a hard right okay but yeah yeah we just did that um sean and i and oh my gosh i'm forgetting this guy's name um but we we just went on this ride in the north of vancouver island and we got to the point to where um one of the tracks was easy and one of the tracks was not. So the more advanced riders, we were kind of like, hey, we're going to go this way and check it out. And then we had some other riders who weren't as experienced, you know, or whatever. And they were kind of like, you guys go down this way. And then they they met, right? So they yeah. kind of just veered off and then they came back and they they met. So the guys are following me and I'm like, okay, here we go. And we're we're kind of getting after it, right? So I got two dudes behind me, both on 1250 GSAs. Okay. Oh, so big bikes, right? So we're super flying. tankers. Oh yeah. And we're going and all of a sudden, man, the road just kind of veers to the left and then just goes. And we were talking about this, like we're like 30% grade was average. And I think there was probably areas, you know, 10, 20, 30 foot sections that were probably 40, 45% gradients going up steep stuff and we're just like man i'm like i hope these guys are not following me because i know i am throwing all sorts of big rocks because it was because you have big, to stay on it for your illusion yeah. oh man it was just like baseball sized rocks and we're just like I, we're just going and we're going up and i'm just like i want to look at the view this is amazing but holy crap okay and it's like you're eating handlebars right you know you're just yeah. super steep and all of a sudden i turn this corner and there's like a tank trap in this dugout and jersey barriers I'm like, what the world? And then these guys pull up behind me and Sean, you know, uh, ADB Oregon, he goes, I was just thinking, I hope I don't have to ride down this. <laughs> we were like, guess what? We Congratulations. Yeah, I will so we say at least going around. down that stuff is typically easier. See, they were just the opposite. I, I think. I think. Same, but, so like I come from kind of a mountain biking background. And so, so for me, I view going downhill as easier than going uphill just because you could, your momentum is guaranteed. Right. Like, so you're just using the brakes and the engine to slow yourself down. You can allow the bike to roll through all the really tough obstacles going uphill. If you don't stay on the gas and maintain your momentum, you're screwed. And some of the bikes, like my bike, I don't know what the deal is. I've talked to my mechanic about this and we're kind of like. He has some theories or whatever, but I call it the belch, right? So sometimes when I get going on something really steep and I'm on it, it will kind of be like, wah, wah, you know, it kind of has this little belch moment where I'm, okay, there I go. And I kind of lose that momentum and it kind of, it could screw you if you, if it just died, you know, but. Well, you have traction control on yours, correct? I do, but in those scenarios, I got everything off. 
Oh, okay. I call it full. Because that's the nicest movie. thing about the T7 is I don't have any of the electronics. It's just it's just the cable throttle. But I think I'm some like, of that's also the torque band on the motor. Because yeah. that's one of the things that I like about the T7 that I didn't like about the 690 is that if you weren't kind of high up in the rev range on the 690, it would bog down. It wants you to wring its neck. The T7 yeah. will tractor through anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. The torque on those bikes are just amazing. If you, like, if you can get it up above 2,500 RPM, it will go. <laughs> right, right. I think the Adat's that way, too. And uh, especially going downhill, I got the engine brake, and I don't think the T7 actually has that, you know, so I can actually feel going downhill. It doesn't engine, engine brake as gauge. much, but it's also a lighter bike, so you just kind of get going. Right. I don't know. It was it was quite the adventure. But that, that goes back to Screen, the track. Right? freeze frame for me for a minute there. Yeah, yeah you were frozen too, so we're just going to talk because the audio is coming through fine. So... um that goes with the tracks, right? So when we I got up there, any we, of that. Oh man, maybe we're back. So what I was saying is, uh, can you hear me now? Kind of moving forward. You went here. full robot. There you go. Yep. <laughs> I, I hey, none of we're that. back. Okay. So, anyways, um, that's one of the things I don't like about the remote stuff. But you know, to get good guests on, they're going to be from all over. So. Um, one of the things that we were, uh, we were talking about were the tracks following the tracks. And when we got up to that tank trap up that super steep hill, I looked and I'm like, Oh, we're, we're way off track. Like we're not even here anymore. So I saw where we missed the turn. So we went back down to that and it was, it was completely overgrown, more tank traps. Like you, unless you're looking for, it, you wouldn't have seen that that was actually a road. Yeah. So luckily again, we had Zolio. So we communicated with the other group, like, Hey, we ran into something. We're turning around. We're coming back the way you guys did. Like, cool. So they waited, you know, on the meeting spot. And again, man, we were full rally mode trying to catch up with those guys. It was awesome. But when we got up there, the other side, they walked over to where we would have been coming up. And it was like a washout with a 30-foot ravine. So even if we yeah. would have made it over, we would have been like, okay, we'll be right back. That's the tablet saved me a couple of times on being able to route find around things like not just yeah. showing my expected route but showing all of the other available roads yeah that's super crucial do you do you typically take paper maps too or you it, just all digital? it depends i for all of the bdrs i had the bdr maps just because there were things that they had more details about that were super handy um because the butler maps are great but for most of my other stuff, not typically, just because I would have to carry so many friggin' maps. <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. I think for like a specific adventure, right? I think they're, they're very important. And then it goes back to when I was a kid. My uncle has a boat out on the Puget Sound. And he had this beautiful GPS sitting up there, right? And we're, we're cruising and I'm watching the track and everything. But he's old school, so he's got the map laid down. He's got his compass out, and he's doing everything, and he's finding exactly where we are, and he's making his notes or whatever. And I, I just looked at him and said, hey, Uncle Don, why why do you have the paper map when you have this GPS? And he just looked at me and goes, well, what if the power goes out? I need to know exactly where I'm at. And that little comment, that little conversation, man, I'm just like, paper map. 
need it to took a while by, for the know? technology to evolve to the point where you could depend on it. Um, on my 690, I had I had two GPSs because I had my tablet set up, and then I had a backup just like Garmin Montana. Um, yeah for the longest time, just because I wasn't sure if the technology had evolved yet to where it was reliable. But I mean, like I said, I've been using that since 2019. I've never had it fail on me. So I I'm able to trust it enough as my primary, you know, mode of transportation. I always have, I mean, hell I have, I could navigate with my inReach cause I could have it give me right. my, you know, back to origin and have it backtrack. You know, like I have anytime I'm on the bike, I have basically three methods of potential navigation other than a paper map. That's so that's important. That's yeah. a good comment, too, that, you know, it took some time for the technology to actually catch up, you know, like the technology from when I was a kid to now is obviously night and day, not even the yeah. same thing. Right. So but it's, still... it's at the point now where you could very easily reliably navigate without a dedicated GPS and just use a phone or a tablet or whatever as your navigation system like that. It works now. Yeah. Well, unless you're a flat earther and think there's going to be a massive EMP on top of everything else. So, well, no, what they, they call it the ground positioning system or something. Cause they don't believe in satellites. Yeah. I, I do. <laughs> Dude. Okay. So that, that whole thing is kind of funny because, um, there's a picture floating around from again critters camp out and this girl summer hearst we're sitting around the fire and i think it was actually the day before the actual event started and she just got up and she took this picture and she looks down at her phone she's like what in the hell is that and then she looks up and she goes like what is that look so we all look up it was starlink coming over they just oh, did yeah. they just did a launch there's 21 of them in a perfect line just going That's right freaky over looking us. the first time you see that it was so cool and then the second night uh, the night after that rather they came back by again but it was very sporadic because now they're trying to disperse so you have yeah, they're one. all running out into their orbit yeah and then you had two kind of going in different directions but they are all still kind of de together but it was I thought it was super cool. It's the second time that I've seen Starlink. You know, I so, just wonder like how bad saying. does that break the brains of remote tribes and stuff like that? <laughs> well, could you imagine what in the world? Oh my gosh. I mean, we you know, we that already is... had enough with like the uh the the airplane thing with remote tribes. I can't remember the term for it, but you know people would drop stuff out of airplanes and it would almost become like a religious thing for some of the tribes. Well, now you have satellites. Right. That's just the, the technology, again, technology. It's just amazing. Yeah. But I also know that a lot of these uh, amateur stargazer guys and stuff, they're starting to get a little pissy with the Starlink because they're cluttering the skies so much. And that's well, you're, the yeah, you're trying stuff. to do a, a long time lapse or something. You end up with a big light streak through the middle of it. Right. But right. some, some of that's also just you have to time it differently because you the only time you get those is is shortly after sundown or shortly before sunrise. So if you're doing them in full night, you don't get that. Because it's still reflecting the sun. Yeah. Right. Right. But I yeah. don't know, man. This stuff is pretty, pretty damn cool. And then there again, you know, Starlink pretty soon is going to mean we're going to be out in the absolute middle of nowhere scrolling and have full internet you know like, yeah what am i doing out here yeah 
I think that's pretty well, coming random, up. Man. We have the uh, we have the annular eclipse coming up, and I have a I have a camera that I'm going to take video of the uh, eclipse. So is that the uh, what is it the the ring of fire or something that's coming yeah up this it's weekend? yeah it's called an annular eclipse because the moon isn't yeah. going to fully cover the sun, so you still get a a view of it. But right, yeah, it should be so, cool looking. So this is uh, October 10th that we're doing uh, this on, and uh, my son, Braden. 14th, I feel like. Yeah, it's the 14th. Yeah. It's on Saturday. So my son is actually yeah. getting married that day. So we're uh, we're going to be down in the southern Oregon coast where he's getting hitched, you know, on this big bluff and whatever. So I thought it'd be kind of cool, but I don't think the uh, – we're right on that border. I think we're going to be a little too far south to actually see it but i think we're going to be on the cuff of actually maybe seeing a little bit of it but i'm i'm also... in the 80 percent portion so i'm not going to get the yeah. full effect but i'm going to get 80 percent of it i think yeah you're a little too far north yeah well i think we're too far south i think i think if we were around central oregon around like antelope i think i'd have to look at the map to see where it's going better, through right? yeah but again, it's Oregon in October, so nobody's going to see it because it's going to be crappy outside. <laughs> I'm really Just hoping the weather is good on Saturday or I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I keep watching that weather report. I'm just like, yeah, this sucks. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> Got to go climb Mount Hood or something, get above it. It'll, it'll, but but it, you know, it'll probably be a cool effect for their wedding photos. Yes. If we can see it, he told me he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna get married in October on the Oregon coast. I'm like, What the hell are you doing, kid? <laughs> like, okay, whatever. You know? He's like, It's down in southern Oregon, it's gonna be great weather. I'm like, mm, I'm gonna take here? For it, but uh, it's Oregon, just yeah. saying. <laughs> we'll see how that all goes out, right? <laughs> so, well, what else you got coming up, man? So, we, we've kind of covered your, your motorcycle riding stuff. Um, we've covered you know, you decided to get airlifted out once. Um, the talk project, your project, you know, you got anything else rad kind of coming up or uh, the, the you... big one is my documentary stuff. I mean, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of the same thing as like with yours, if it's going to be a completely different thing for me than what I've done previously, you know, it's not, none of it's oriented around motorcycles. It doesn't have anything to do with adventure travel. It's all about a documentary of our time in the military. And so it's going to look completely different than anything that I've worked on before, but that's also what kind of makes it exciting because I don't know what that's going to end up looking like or how that's going to go. So that's, that's basically going to be my life for the next four months of trying to get through all that footage. Cause it's, it's a ton. I mean, you know how it is. Like you go out and shoot something and it takes four times as long to turn it into something as it does to yeah. shoot it. Oh, for sure. The creativity aspect, you know, and how many times you get into something and you're like, oh, I should do this different redo. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm better now about turning my mental image into what I'm actually seeing on the screen. But yeah, it takes time. <laughs> yeah, for me right now, where I'm at with my editing skills is my mind is like years ahead of my capabilities. You know, I'm like, how well, do I do this? Yeah. So your your inner voice video, how long did it take you to edit that? 
the editing process um to actually put it together didn't take me that long honestly it probably took maybe four days to put it together just to edit but how long did it take you to film it but um well there was a bunch of different filming areas right so part in canada you know and then like an interview process and stuff so the process to do those but the like field stuff wasn't for that video necessarily it was for it was writing um, so when Pritter announced his camp out i knew i was going uh, it's no secret him and i are best friends right yeah so it's like obviously i'm going to this thing um and then he and I started talking and then my train of thought went. So for like a YouTube guy, I'm nobody like for real. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. I don't, I don't yeah. consider my, but yeah. Like, you know, some of my videos get a lot of views. Most of them don't. Right. So, and I'm very thankful for every view. It doesn't matter if it's one or 5,000 or whatever. Oh yeah. But I started kind of seeing, you know, who's coming. Right. So, Dork on the Road's coming, you know, Travis, you know, Explorer Adventure Moto's coming, and then we've got, you know, Slow Eddie's coming, and we've got Critters going to be up there, you know, and so I'm starting to, like, these dudes with massive, massive channels are going to be up there, and I was like, why would anybody watch my videos, right? Right, yeah, you, you kind you've of You've got all like... these, all the all-stars, <laughs> right? So if you're anybody, you're going to go watch Ben's right off the bat. You're going to go watch Dork on the Road. And then I didn't even watch Travis's in the giant loop rally for that exact yeah. reason. Like it just wasn't right. even worth it. Yeah. And it was just like, they're going to watch Ben, maybe Travis done moving on. Been there, done that. Right. So I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. And so I've been um, contemplating for a while talking with critter, you know, and Casey and all this stuff. I was contemplating on, doing a video about my story before the announcement of this but yeah you always wasn't, have kind of like idea in the back of your head just kind of ruminating yeah it, and, and it was there but i didn't at the time i knew i had this story i wasn't sure if i was ready to talk about that story and then how i would do it right so I had three questions like one, I know I'm going to do it, but am I ready and how am I going to do it? So it just it just permeated in the back of my head for like the better part of six months, maybe a little over. six. Oh, I'm no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know. And then, you know, the whole premise of this camp out was for men's mental health. Right. And so getting there and meeting the people and just kind of being up there. I knew what it was about. I knew the people, some people that were going to be there. And I was just like, I am going to shoot this differently because I think this is the perfect platform and event to tell my story. So I went up there with, I, I ended up vlogging and stuff and doing some rides and I'm actually working on a video, which is kind of a, I'm done with this massive just emotional project now i'm back to like hey everybody i'm on the ad again yeah I'm right, right? Yeah, i'm probably have to do the same so, thing yeah yeah oh for real so i just started that yesterday honestly and uh but looking at it i was just like okay all these guys are coming to this video or to this camp out they're gonna do their own videos 
this is time for me to take this environment and present my my story. So I went up there with the aspect of more B-roll footage more than the the vlogging and the more the A stuff, right? So it was just you know, more you're talking of, over it in the background. Right. So I, I just wanted and I didn't use too much of it. I felt I originally had a lot more um, motorcycle footage and camping footage, but I felt it was actually distracting away from what I was trying to say. So I actually no, you, cut you get a feel out. for it of of like it's not a writing video. It's the yeah. There's times where it makes sense, but there's times where it just doesn't. Yeah, I, I think the the little bit that I did put in there, it was just more like you know. Because I talk about how writing is like my therapy and stuff, you know, and, and it's it's more than just riding a motorcycle for me sometimes. So I kind of get into that with a little bit of like the friendship and the camaraderie. You know, I show a little bit of that, but the rest of it is just me. Just chit-chat. Yeah, that's not the story. The story is you right. and your experiences. Right. And then, you know, there was a lot of like really happy, cool stuff that went on. So I tried to showcase at the end, like, yeah this side of it it's not all bad and depressing right so i kind of i ended it that way but i i felt like when i was riding up there like a part of depression and going through stuff like that is you take this burden of a secret right like this is my secret this is my i don't you know, I talk about how embarrassing it was and how ashamed I was and all of this. And you just, you take that and you put it down. You don't want anybody to know and, you know, and all this. And so, you know, my dad and I are very close, but I didn't want him to know. And he didn't know going up to this camp out anything about it, you know? And it was like, I'm contemplating, do I tell him that I'm doing this video or do I just like hear right so right yeah it's it's hard because when you're especially when you're in that place the last thing you want to do is talk to other people about it right oh 100 percent. and it it goes back to the stigmata we're men dude you're tough dude just don't talk about it suck it up you're gonna be fine right gotta get rid of that right yep 100 and then it's just like who do you talk to right how do you find the help i mean you again it's like the writing ego right you got you got to find a way to throw away the writing ego but in this case your writing ego is a little bit of the ego but it's also the depression that's trying to tell you like you're fine what do you need don't do that dude nobody cares about this bullshit just move on right that's just your stuff that's your baggage unpack it yourself kid you know so that's that's essentially what it was so i put it together and i just went publish okay go so yeah it turned out to be a thing. And like I said, like my dad called me and he was like, I need to talk to you about your video. And I'm like, Oh God, here we go. You know? And he was like, he just was like, I'm proud of you for putting it out there. And it was like, not the conversation I thought we were going to have. Good for him you though. Know? Like that's the response yeah. that you want to have. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it was a good response. My mom she had a good response, you know? And then, like I said, I just, the next several days after that video came out, it was too, it wasn't too much, but it was too much, but it was a lot. You know? Yeah, I was not ready for that, you know, especially picking up the phone and having like dudes crying like already like, what's up, bro? You just, oh, okay. It's, here we go. But it also makes you realize how many people you can talk about, about these things, because 
almost all of us have some kind of similar experience. Like we can relate. You don't feel like anybody can relate at the time, but, but then you kind of have that conversation. It's like, Oh yeah, there's a ton of people I can go to if I'm having a bad one. Like it's there. Yeah. It's, I don't know how to, to get away from the dude, the proverbial man card. Right. And how do we, it's just repetition the conversation. It is. It's, it's it removing is. the ego and just being willing to have a conversation like this. Right. That that's the whole thing. And being open and honest about it too. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the hard part because people don't want to uh, take your flaws and just put them out there for anybody and everybody to, to look at. Right. And that was one of my things too. I even talked about it in the video. I was so paranoid and worried and embarrassed that somebody is going to be like, yeah, you're, you're screwed up, man. Well, you know, and just start pointing the finger at you and just, talking mad shit and for what you know and and that's the only damaging part about it is that there are still sometimes people out there that that is their they they act like everyone should be like that and they're not um some of the conversations that i have with other veterans is the fact that you know the person who's talking the most about being tough is typically the weakest one in the room and you see that so much with actually strong people, like actually strong people are the ones who are struggling with it afterwards. That's, that's human. Like that's human. That's just who we are. And so the person who's talking the most mad shit about it is the one who wouldn't be able to handle it if they were actually in that situation. It's the person that may not be able to handle it in that situation. And maybe even the person that needs needs help the most on top of that oh there's yeah there's definitely some misdirection and redirection of like i can't handle it myself so i'm going to put it on you but yeah that's yeah that's a whole nother long (laughs) that no that that really is because i was guilty of that too i think we all have at some point but yeah right right i don't know i think um you know there's a lot of support for me to to come out like that Um, like i said casey was we had conversations because I needed to make sure that she was okay too with this kind of coming out because it was such a dramatic part of her life as well. Right. So it was a really horrible part and everything, you know, so she was really good about it. And then, you know, Critter was the guy that was kind of like the love tap on the back. Like you could do this, man, you could do this. You know, that's not how it was, but that's kind of how our relationship was and him coming out and being able to talk about stuff. And then there's been other people, you know, that obviously we're not the only ones. Right. But it opens a conversation. More of us can sit out. Yeah. You know, your video, my video, and then creators video and everybody else's is just going to be amazing because the more you can see, you know, like the talk project when that comes out and, you know, like I said, the more you find out about people's struggles and then what's really happening behind closed doors and then really how people are feeling. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's quite the, quite the conversation starter. And I just listened to a, a podcast with uh, Jimmy Carr. It was actually on the Joe Rogan experience and I was just listening to it and they, they were just talking about random stuff and somehow suicide came up just randomly i was like what and jimmy carr said um i put this up on my instagram a couple days ago but it it was uh 
Suicide does not end the pain. It merely disperses it to your loved ones. And I was just like, that's deep. And which is incredibly true. true. And I've had this conversation with people is, is probably one of the only reasons why I've never really had a serious attempt is I always had those people in my life that I knew what it would do to them. Yeah. You know, and and the, the people that have followed through on it are the ones that aren't thinking about the other people in their lives. Right. Or they're just so empty and, and they, I don't know if empty is the right word, but you know, when I tried it, it it wasn't part of it. There's an emptiness part of it. There's also just a part of just wanting the pain to stop. They just want to cease existing and which is the most dangerous part of it because you don't, at that point, you don't care what other people think. Right. And that's truly where I was. I didn't really give two shits about anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest part about my, my friends that I've lost is I can't sit there and act like I don't know what they were thinking. Like I know exactly what they were going through. I know where they were at when they did that. But at the same time, you're kind of pissed off at them for following through on it because you know that if they had just made a phone call, it wouldn't have happened. And that's dude, that is such a big thing too. And it's just sometimes it's easy for us to say the phone call, but then going back to what we just said, when you don't care, you don't care. That's the last thing you want to do when you're in that place is talk to anybody. So like, that's the part of me that I get it. Like I get why you didn't call anybody because I've been there, but you also want to just like shake the shit out of them for not doing it because it's like you asshole, you're gone now. And I can't call you an idiot for not doing this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's, it's such a shit show to be there, you know? Absolutely. And it's, it goes kind of the flip side too. Like if you know somebody that's struggling, again, guide code is kind of hard to be like, start striking that conversation. Right. I can't come to you with my feelings. That's, that's against guide code, you know, and that's this. And especially when you're getting into like, I I can't speak for it, but I I've, I've wondered before, is this like a part of the military thing? Because you guys are so like manly men, you're, warriors you're this you're that and does that kind of play into like i can't talk about that because i also have this persona but i have the man and i have this and i have that you know but how do we strike up the conversation to be like there hey man yeah oh man well here we are again but you know just how to strike up the conversation of each other like hey man i see you're struggling how does this happen you know so did I lose you or is your backs? <laughs> I'm just going to keep going until you start talking. I still don't got you back. There, there you go. Hey, okay. Jeez. Okay. I lost yeah. it partway through it. I feel bad. I, oh, I got dude, most it, of it. I, I, so talking about like in the military, how it is different than like maybe civilian life. It, It's hard to explain because there's parts of it that are easier to talk about because you were in the same situations together. So there's there's a level of trust and a level of understanding built in. Right. But it's also hard because you don't want to be the one complaining about the thing that all of you went through. <laughs> oh, right. And so I maybe that that kind of, that's where it kind of gets a little bit difficult of like, we had the same experiences. 
how can I sit here and complain if you're doing fine? But, right. you know, that's some of just having the time now to realize that like everyone processes stuff differently and everyone is in a different place in that process. And so some of us are doing great. Some of us aren't doing so great. And the ones that aren't doing so great probably need a little bit more help about it. So some of that I feel like is just kind of the maturity of down the road now. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, initially definitely probably you'd get a lot of crap for like being the, being the, the one guy who's having issues with it, but you kind of get the understanding later on of just like, no, we're all just doing the best we can. That's important. Doing the best we can or being a communicative, being a community, you know, starting the conversations, being open to having the conversations, being honest with yourself, being honest with others, you know, and seeking the help that you need. Right. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. And, uh, boy, this kind of went to the right. corner there, but yeah. And these, it's, it's the topic that, that I've been dealing with probably the most this year. So there's, it makes sense that we would talk about it, you know, between Tuck and my other, my, and my documentary, like that's pretty much all I've been dealing with is, is suicide, depression and veterans issues. That's a great calling though. You know, the more we talk about it, the more videos that get put out by it. I mean, it's just the more the conversation, the more people see it. And the more that I think people are like, Hey man, this is, it's Gucci to talk about, you know, we, we had the conversation more than once on the tuck trip of whatever happens with this documentary. If it, if it saves one person from taking that final step, it was all worth it. All, all the difficult knee, all of the, everything. It's all worth it if it keeps one person alive. Yeah, that one person. That's 100%. all I, like, whatever. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be, for lack of a better term, massive. I, I, I see so. that <laughs> film being, I see that film being huge. I see it. I just, um, I want it to reach as many people that it speaks to as possible. That's that's my only yeah. hope with it, you know, whether if a bunch of other people like watch it and enjoy it, fine, whatever. But if it if it reaches the people that it needs to reach to actually make yeah. a difference in their lives, that's what I care about. I uh, I'm right on there with you. I mean, obviously, like you said, like, hey, man, if this this helps just one person done it's worth everything. But. I think the reaction of that's going to be more than one. I think it's going to probably, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I mean, in hundreds, I mean, how could it that's, not? I mean, that's the feeling that we started getting as we were on the trip of like, oh, this is actually going to like, just with our experiences and the stories people were telling and the, the conversations that we were having, it's like, this is going to be a bigger thing than any one of us for sure. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, it's such a, uh, just a topic, you know? And, and depending, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know any insider information. Yes, Grace and I are friends or whatever, but I don't have any inside information. But, like, in my mind, I, I like, see this at, like, film festivals and stuff, you know? And Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, just adding it to as many places as you can and just getting that that buzz, you know? And then, I don't know, maybe something in the veteran community, there's something there that just, man, starts... Dang maybe it, it resonates yeah the, yeah the hope is that it resonates yeah 100 percent, man that's crazy stuff right well 
I think we've been at it for two hours, 31 minutes and 13 seconds, you know, and I think we're starting to get a little bit more of a consistent drag here on the interwebs, you know, so maybe starting, this is a good starting place. to repeat ourselves a few times. Yeah. I think this is probably a good place just to, uh, then things, you know, so I really want to thank you for coming on. I, you know, like we said in the beginning, this, there's a little bit of tag back and forth between our schedules and you being out doing your thing and being back here and, you know, me out doing my thing. So I really appreciate you taking the time planning, especially doing it in the morning. That just, it made it so much easy for me. And just, it seems like it worked out really well, man. So anything no, else you want to pimp? You know, thank you so we've much been, for having uh, me. Um, I'm Meerkat ADV on basically everything. So if you search that, you'll probably find me eventually. It's right here. Um, right there. But yeah, I, I'm going to be kind of dark on social media for a while just because the last, I mean, literally the last video I posted, I was in Idaho and that was in July. So oh, wow. I'm going to be, yeah. cause I've been working on the other project. So that'll be the rest of my life for, you know, the next several months at least. And then stuff will start coming out from that probably in February ish. Do you have um, a name for your project yet? I have a few rough ideas for it. I'm, I'm hey. not going to give you any of them because I'm not sure what it's going to end up actually being called. Right. But yeah, I have changed like five times. Yeah. I, you know, you start having like a little notepad of like ideas. So Scribbles. yeah. Yeah. For real, man. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it, man. And uh, you know, Maybe here after your uh, documentary comes out, we can take a gander at it and then bring you back on and we can talk about it. That'd be pretty Absolutely. Rad. See, and I'd, you know, talk about whatever you've been up to in the meantime since also. Um, I'm not going to say what I'm doing, but um, keep your eyes out in early November for some sort of an announcement thing. Just saying. Nice. <laughs> I'll just leave it right there. No, so. I know that's, I know exactly what that's like. Like you have these things going and you're like, not quite sure if it's going to pay pay off or not so you don't want to say anything about it oh uh, we're actually this is like, yeah this is 100 percent go there's a lot of moving nice. parts that have come together already and uh it's just the announcement everything will make sense everything will make sense yeah. in in due time so all no, right brother we're out laters all right